0: Welcome to the Kent Lap Podcast, featuring long-form conversations offering wisdom,
1: hope, and community. Now, here's your host, Kent Lap. Hello, friends. This is Kent Lapp, and in this conversation, I am thrilled to bring you my conversation with Fadi Busamra. Before I do so, a quick announcement. We will be taking a short summer break on this podcast. This will be the last episode we'll release for a short period of time. But thank you for being part of this thing, and we look forward to bringing you more conversations very soon. Back to introducing my guest today, Fadi Bousamra. Fadi is the Chief Investment Officer and Assistant Treasurer for the Metropolitan Government of Nashville and Davidson County Pension Fund. He currently oversees $3.2 billion in defined benefit assets, $375 million in defined contributions, and approximately $1 billion in operating cash. The Nashville and Davidson County Pension Fund, under Fatty's leadership, is currently performing as top 1% among all peer pension funds in the nation and has been in the top 3% or better for the periods of 1, 5, 7 and 10 years as of June 2019. Fatty has over 25 years of investment experience since graduating Belmont University in 1994. But it gets even crazier. Fadi moved to America when he was 13 years old without his parents to escape the civil war and unrest in his native country of Lebanon. His mother and father sent him off on an airplane, 13 years old, to America in hopes of a safer, brighter future. I won't say much more on this at this time, as Fatty does go into the story in detail in our conversation. But suffice it to say, the emotions you likely sense just thinking about sending your 13-year-old son off into another country are the same emotions his parents felt just a thousand times more real as it was actually their reality. I can't even imagine. We talk about Fadi's story, surviving rocket attacks as a nine-year-old, the unrest in his native country of Lebanon in the Middle East, the lessons we can apply to America, the role of economics, opportunity, and jobs in our current state of turmoil, his role as chief investment officer of Nashville's $3.2 billion pension fund, and much more. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Fadi, and hope you do as well. A couple of things. Make sure to check out the Cantlap podcast on YouTube. If you're looking for uh, some wholesome, maybe entertainment in the evenings. I think uh, YouTube is the new TV. I never watch TV. Do watch YouTube in the evenings sometimes when you're kicked back and just looking for maybe some upna- updates on what's going on in the world or just some wholesome or interesting entertainment. So there you have it. We have tons of videos there. You may want to check that out as well. Just search the Cantlap podcast on YouTube. And I believe that does it. So without any further ado, I give you my conversation with Fadi Usramra. Please enjoy. Yes. Thank you for being on the podcast. Hello, Kent. Man, a privilege. Why do you not tell people when you meet him that you're a big deal? Well. <laughs> <laughs> we, we worked out how long together before I knew what you were into? I mean, probably a year, right? Probably. A while.
2: I don't know. I think uh, it's just what I do. I don't yeah. Care.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's pretty great. I think it's pretty great that we have... Uh, we have you on my, my little podcast here.
2: <laughs> well, it's an honor. I've seen some of your casts.
1: So. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. How long have you been at CrossFit Forte? Uh,
2: end of, let me make sure I don't get this right. End of 18.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, we might have joined about the same time then. Yeah. That's about the time so I joined. See,
2: 18, end of 18, end of 19. Yeah. So I'm coming so you up on... on my third.
1: Uh, okay. 19, 20. Yeah. I thought you no, were there. You know what? End of when, seventeen. Okay. Of yeah, because when I started uh, attending that gym, it was mid eighteen. You were already there for yeah. sure. Yeah, I
2: was mid um, seventeen. end of seventeen.
1: Okay. And then I dropped out for most of two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. Have you tried other types of exercise, or do you have you just found CrossFit to be one that you particularly enjoy? Uh,
2: yes, to the latter. Um, so I've I've done half marathons. Uh, I have a gym at work, so I've tried to do my own thing at the gym. Mm. I've done what's called aerobic tennis. Mm. What uh, is that? Basically, it's like there's five, six, seven, eight courts, and uh, three, four, five coaches, and they you do a drill. You run to the next court, do a drill. Mm. Next to, to a drill, so you you have to hit the ball. So there's that tennis aspect of it, mm-hmm. but you're also moving around. Um, mm. Uh, running, you know, running from court to court, doing different shots. Uh, I've never
1: heard of that. Yeah.
2: Interesting. I did Orange Theory as well. Okay. And Orange Theory is kind of what got me into looking at CrossFit. I like the class structure.
0: Yeah, me too. Because I was
2: going down to the gym and, you know, doing, you know, and then... You know, I have a job, you know, and I can't sit there and and spend an hour planning the workout. Right. You know, yeah. just, and you get to a point where you're just not getting results. Yeah. You know, it's easy at first when you start because you're starting from nothing. Yep. So I looked into some of the body, using your own body weight, like boot camps and stuff. And then I talked to somebody that uh, was doing CrossFit. I didn't know they did CrossFit. But I knew he was athletic and did a lot of competitions. And he told me that uh, I should look into CrossFit. And I did. And what I discovered uh, through just researching for it is I I felt like, you know, I've never been like an Olympic weights thing. You know, I've done Mm -hmm. some machines and dumbbells, but I could see how it could accelerate the, the advancement because yeah. you're loading oh yeah, as opposed to, because let's face it, you know, doing pull-ups is hard, Yes, you know, and, and use body weight all you want, but I mean, it's going to take you a while, you yep. know, so, uh, so I, uh, I decided to check it out and, um, by the time we finished the three day introductory, you know, thing, mm-hmm. I was ready to sign up. Really? I knew it was, it
1: was Did definitely... you try other CrossFit gyms before Forte?
2: No, because oh, yeah? I w- work right up the street and okay. this one came very highly recommended. Really? Yeah. yeah Interesting. Somebody that I know really well that lives in New York had apparently been going to that gym every time they come see me for business. Oh, wow. So when I said CrossFit, I goes, well, dude, you know there's one right down the street for me. I said, no, I had no idea. And that, you know, then I heard it was apparently one of the best ones. So oh wow, interesting! Come. So yeah. shout
1: out to Evan Beach with CrossFit Forte.
2: Yeah, he knew Evan. His guy's name is Christian Thorn. Oh, okay, uh, that, that turned me on to joining Evan. Oh wow, that's gym. very
1: cool. So I've yeah. only been part. This is my third CrossFit gym that I've been a part of. Okay, okay, and it's my favorite one.
0: Okay, yeah, okay.
1: and so I could see. Where, but but again, I. It's not like I'm a lifetime CrossFitter. I've not visited that many gyms, so yeah. I don't have a lot to compare it to. Of yeah. the gyms I've been a part of, this one is my favorite. But so it's interesting to hear you got a, someone from New York that's saying if you're going to go CrossFit, yeah. go CrossFit Forte. Right, the and location's I've been to great two too.
2: other gyms as drop-in since then, and, and I mm-hmm. one in St. Louis and one in L.A. Yeah, and I agree, this one is really good. The space we have is phenomenal. The I
1: space mean. is great. Yeah. The location's great. I mean, it's literally half a mile from here. So I mean, there's that aspect of it. I like their class times too, yeah. but I really like, I really like Evan's coaching. Yeah. I'll be honest. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to there's, admit there's, it to his face,
0: but he's a good coach. A,
2: there's a lot of good coaches there though. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of them, the different ones will pick up on different things.
0: Yeah. You yeah. Know? You're right.
2: Um, uh, like, you know, Bob will out of the blue tell you something. It's like why didn't everybody tell you that? Now this is easier, you know. So yeah. you just pick up on something that you're not doing. Yeah,
1: well I think one uh, the the one advantage so so Evan's pretty decent. Like he's pretty strong and he's yeah. pretty decent. Well, and course, so I think yeah. Bob maybe is between our level and Evan, and so Bob, I think some of the movements that uh, Evan might just be great at, Bob's yeah. not quite as good at yeah. maybe, and so I think he, that helps he too. He understands what it is it you're not doing because yeah, to exactly. Yeah, yeah, he's not yeah. just throwing all kinds of just crushing it a little yeah. bit like like Evan can. And then and then um, there's
2: been times we had to go to the three thirty or four thirty class, yeah. and those guys get it. They yeah, they hit it hard.
1: Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, that's the class I like to go to. I I don't eat lunch. I don't like to go out to lunch. I think it's a waste of time and stuff. But what, what is it about the 11.30 class that works good with your schedule?
2: Well, just because it is lunch and uh and i'm'm I'm, I go in the office, so I've already been there three four hours okay. so I, I love getting that break to get out mm-hmm. and yeah, instead of spending wasting time eating lunch somewhere i I just go do the gym thing and I yeah. usually grab a sandwich right down the street from the gym and go right back to the office after yeah okay right after, yeah.
1: okay, so you're back in the office by eh,
2: one o'clock 4.45, yeah.
1: one o'clock
0: yeah. a little bit before one. Okay,
1: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it does, it is an hour, and then it's, like, it does take me an hour and a half, or an hour, 45 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, because you got to get there, and then work out, and then, you know, I like to shower, come back back here, just take some time. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, Well, let's, I want to hear all about your story. (laughs) Okay. My, what I do know is, you moved from Lebanon. Yeah to america yeah. 12 years old yeah, right a lot, yeah, a bit the, more ish yeah. with no parents right that's so that's what i know and that's about all i know yeah um take us back to i mean even before then i'd love to know why you moved to america the whole deal and take your time talking through because I'd,
2: I'd i'd love to i'm fascinated by it so uh although this is my story it is kind of a story of lebanon really um so i was i was um about nine years old um, well, let's go back a little bit further. My, both my parents are Lebanese. I was born in Kuwait hmm. because both uh, both of them worked in Kuwait. Hmm. What, what were the jobs? Uh, my dad had a small construction company uh, that did, built pipe pipes for the like the running water and things like that. And my mom worked as a like a nurse's aide hmm. in Kuwait. In Kuwait, um, in the uh, Kuwait City Hospital, the only hospital at the time. That, uh, in, in Kuwait. This is, we're going back to the early 60s now. And uh, so uh, I turned five and started school. Parents realized, hell, he's not learning anything because mm. Kuwait was a pretty new country. They didn't have a lot of uh, good schools and so on and so forth. So they shipped me back to Lebanon to live with my grandparents while I go to school. Mm. And I have an older brother that they had just done that too because he he was in school in Lebanon.
1: How many siblings do you have? Just one. Just,
2: just your yeah. older brother. Yeah. Okay. So so um, about two years went by like this, and then they moved back to Lebanon. Mm. So, uh, we kind of, at that point I had a normal household, like, you know, even though my brother was too old to be in Hamana my hometown, he was already in Beirut in school because he's 11 years older. Oh, okay. So he was already like uh, at pre-college, they call it. Yeah. You know, uh, so I, um, so I, life was normal, we, we, you know, for the first time because we live in the same roof, um, uh, mm-hmm. whatever. My brother was there on the weekends, which he was never there in Kuwait when I was a kid.
0: Okay.
2: And, um. All of a sudden, one day in school, I went to a Catholic school, but not all the kids are Catholic because it's in the, it's commonplace in Lebanon for kids to send their, uh, for parents to send their kids to Catholic school, even mm. though they could be not Catholic. They don't have to uh, take the religious class. And so a small town in the mountains surrounded by other towns, and um, um, all of a sudden we're at lunch, we're playing, and an uh, odd thing happened. The um, kids divided themselves into two groups, Um, And I was on this side, just by coincidence, that's where I was standing. And they started throwing rocks at each other, the kids, in the playground. I was like, what the heck's going on? And then these kids are yelling at me here, that are standing here, telling me that I'm supposed to be over there. And I'm looking, and I have friends on both sides. Why am I supposed to be over there? So I just kind of crossed the line, (laughs) went over (laughs) there. I didn't throw any rocks or anything. And uh, this is kind of an awakening uh, for a, uh, at the time, about nine years old, that, hey, we're not all the same. Mm. And um, apparently it was, um, the country was divided. It was not just strictly on uh, religious lines, but it was pretty much. uh, So just to explain, you had um, Christians were over here, uh, but uh, you had a lot of Druze, spelled with a D, over here. Dru- Druze. Druze. It's a it's a type of uh, a religion. It's okay. very common in Lebanon. It's only because okay. of it. Uh, but there were some Christians here too because they had ideological, uh, political uh uh similarities with what they did. So so this was this was kids throwing rocks at each other. And then mm. then I remember the school changed after that. You uh, we'd get in the morning and they'd line us up in straight lines and we'd pledge allegiance to the flag kind of thing. Except up to Lebanon, but Okay you know, yeah. a National
0: Anthem and
2: things, like yeah. and things like that. And then I started being aware that hey, the people are carrying guns, there's like my my family members are carrying guns, they're going off to do stuff, you know, and just uh the the whole the whole you know, you wait or wake, like, wow, this is like, you know, um <clears throat> you listen, you hear things on the radio, you hear things on the news, but you're nine, you process right, you know, a certain percentage of it. Um and then um uh one day um uh, my uncle went to um Beirut. To join a group uh, of fighters that was defending a high point, so that uh, the, the the city of Beirut, where the Christians live, doesn't get shelled. Mm. And um, and my my brother followed him uh, late because he had left him behind. He didn't want him to go. And uh, and uh, my uncle died on on that day um, because of the fighting in a, in a very famous place that there was a lot of fighting. The Holiday Inn, it's called, because it was a Holiday Inn hotel. Mm. And um, months later, maybe a little bit longer, um, um, the, the the army fell. Uh, essentially, different groups of the army gave their guns to people that had affinity to, or the people would come in and take the guns. So basically, the, the might of the army became part of the civilians. Different factions were formed. Oh, wow. Uh, you had Sunni, Shiite, a Christian, and each of those factors probably had two different... Uh, Fact, factions, Druze hmm. uh, as well. I mean, it was, the whole country was in a civil war. Um, the setup was the, due to the, 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 what brought this all about was the Palestinian issue. The Arab League had voted to arm the Palestinians in Lebanon to fight Israel. And uh, the, the Palestinians basically were trying to use, take over Lebanon to use it as a base. Mm. And this kind of took, people took sides and all kinds of things went mm-hmm. to hell. And well, um, what year is this roughly? So now we're you're, talking you're 76. And, 76. Yeah, yeah. And you're nine years old, I'm this time. I'm about to turn 10. Yeah, I'm 76. Wow, that's exactly Lincoln's age right now. So yeah. That's you, Lincoln. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so then one day, um, you know we're we're at home uh, there's 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 definitely something going to happen um um and my, we're getting phone calls we're hiding in my grandfather's house and uh we get shelled at um and um they tell us to to leave because they're coming and so we we get out of our house we we'll go to a neighbor's house and we get to uh hide in the basement and um it was a very traumatic night because there was explosions everywhere and uh, we, I didn't know what was happening or whatever. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Book Thief. No. There's a famous scene in that movie where the young girl is um, hiding from the uh, uh, the bombing of Germany uh, underground. And, you know, imagine like if instead of this wood, it was rock and you're in the basement and when the bombs go off, little pieces of dust come out of the ground. And you feel like you're going to get buried. Like, oh, my you know, goodness. And um, and they started, like, in the movie, they start singing, telling stories, something like that. But in, uh, in my world, they started uh, praying uh, and telling, like... Uh, uh, we're all Maronite Christians, so they were, you know, mm. and uh, I fell asleep because I think the stress level was so high. That's one of my reactions is eventually I fell asleep. Oh, wow. We got up the next day, and we went up to our home, which was across the street, and um, it was blown up. If you had stayed in your home, you'd be dead? Yeah, they came and,
1: you know, stole everything and, and blew it up.
0: And, were they after uh,
1: something in particular in your home, or so, your home just happened to get hit?
2: So... um it, it, because different like political family they they were, our home was not the only one that was hit it was whoever they suspected of like they were in, they were fighters or they're politically involved or mm. something like that so my uncle was he's the one that was killed in the war and uh, many of my family members cousins and so on so uh you know, just walk into your home and, and at you know nine years old and it was not like the way the way it was before uh they fired some RPGs at the house too before they went in, so it had this like really nasty stench. Like that you, you when you watch movies, you will realize how smelly war is. But all that really? stuff. Really, you know, I would not have thought that either. All those rockets have different smells, and everything just you know hmm. burns. And uh, it's it's, it's, uh, it's, it's is it's, it
1: like a gassy
2: type smell, like yeah. burning gas, or is it
1: almost it, more like a stench, like, say like a,
2: burning rubber or sulfur, like oh, that? Wow. Uh, but but could be very potent, you know, mm-hmm. like overwhelming, like you're going to choke sometimes. The, these were RPGs. I interesting.
1: Don't. That is not something that comes through in the movies, yeah, you know. I see that? Yeah. Um, Even Private Ryan couldn't pull that off. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> surprisingly. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there are certain smells that stick. Yeah. My dad died when I was about 10 and that smell of just him being in the casket and everything, just yeah. like it sticks, you know? It's just like, you yeah. don't forget that.
2: And images too stick, you know? Like, uh, you know, my mom, my mom was devastated because they had took in the life savings and furnished this house, Ugh. built this house, whatever. But, but the image is stuck in my mind besides the, the physical destruction. But, you know, that kind of gets wiped away. Um, prior to this event... I had gone on a school trip to the beach uh, in Beirut. And uh, someone, I think my mom, got me a beach ball. And I thought it was great because, you know, I, I was like one of the kids that didn't quite fit in. I was a little different. I, I joined the school late because I was in Kuwait. Hmm. And so the, the beach ball made me really popular because everybody wanted to play with the beach ball. Okay, And um, walking into the kitchen, with, which was half demolished, um, seeing that beach ball imploded with rocks on top of it was like some symbi- that's that symbol right there somehow the child in me at that point knew that my life had changed forever right. from that ball and i don't wow. know how a child would know that but hmm. somehow uh it was just uh i mean i i i know a ball like that doesn't cost much money so mm-hmm. it couldn't have been that so So, so it was a, it was a, a symbol of something greater. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we had to go to Beirut, um, after having some run-ins with, uh, um, with, uh, with the people that were in charge there trying to kidnap people and things like that. Um, uh, Eventually, I I was put in a car and sent to Beirut. My dad had already escaped, and to uh, Beirut <clears throat> to Beirut. Uh, you know, Be- Beirut at the time then was divided in half. The green line, f- famous green line. Um, <clears throat> so you had one area was for the uh, Christian side, one area for the other side, and the other side. You know was was not you can't say it was like sunni or shiite it was it was basically the palestinian and and the other side it was like the the country was divided mm-hmm. in half so mm-hmm. um we stayed there, tried to get a house tried to find you know whatever couldn't happen everybody everybody in the mountains was being pushed to Beirut I mean, oh it was, wow, it was just a mass exodus of people mm. blown up homes or whatever you know. Um so uh through you know a bunch of uh uh connections or different things um my dad managed to get a visa to United Arab Emirates to Dubai um and this is in, uh so we we had to go to a town called Zahli stay in Zahli till we got to cross to Syria. We went to cross to Syria. They wouldn't let us cross because while we did have a visa at the airport waiting for us, um, we couldn't prove that at the border Ooh. in Lebanon. When I mean, there's no email back then. You right. Know, and there's no mail service. We're in a war. But somehow they had to get proof that we weren't going to just go to Syria. And eventually that that was lined up and we went to uh in Dubai. My dad started working all over again, starting from scratch. He he started like a construction worker, and, uh, and eventually opened up a company and started all over again. And I had the same experience that I had in Dubai, in Kuwait, where schools weren't that good. Um, I couldn't go to the American schools or English-speaking schools at the time because I didn't know any English. Mm. <clears throat> so they sent me to Lebanon to a boarding school, a Catholic boarding school. Back to school. Lebanon? Back to Lebanon, but it was in a safe area okay. of Lebanon where my aunt was a nun mm. at a uh, school that was, had boarding school as well.
1: Interesting. How, at,
2: how many years after you left Lebanon to begin with? Within a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. School just weren't good. So, so this school uh, was a normal school. But it also had uh, people that lived in the school, uh, I mean, uh, like a boarding school. The girls that boarded in the school, were all, they were all girls. So I had to get some special strings, whatever, to be the first boy to go to this all-girl boarding school. Oh, wow. And um, um, first year, I actually was, uh, I guess I was only 11 at the time. They let me just stay with the dorms with the girls. But the next year, they moved me out to a separate They felt I was getting too old. yeah. Um, for, for, to be just there with the girls. So, uh, but then they let more boys in and mm. two more boys came in after that. or one more boy, um, so my cousin actually. Oh, um, wow. And so, but I, I made my mom promise that I didn't, would, wouldn't go to boarding school more than two years. I hated it. Really? I absolutely hated it. I hate that structure. I hate the rules. Uh, it was very impersonal. It was, uh, there was not a lot of getting out. It was, it was, it was terrible.
1: A very good uh, education,
2: because uh, I picture it to be, but maybe yeah, not. yeah. Generally, generally it was, but for me it was a struggle because by then I had been through three, four different school systems right. that, that taught you know three, four different methods. Yeah, <laughs> so it was uh, very <laughs> confusing.
1: <laughs> um, How was it to being the only guy at an all-girl boarding school? Did you sort of enjoy that, or was it awful?
2: <laughs> it, no, it was great. Uh, the only uh, negative part about it was that um, I, I had parents and family. Many of them did not okay mm-hmm. that's why they were there oh, so wow. every so often my uncles would come up from beirut and they were on would come up in beirut pick me up and take me off for the weekend for mm. a break and you know i would show up on sunday late afternoon on sunday you know all you know i'm upset because i have to go back to boarding school but you know they're all sitting there Cleaning, polishing the banisters, and cleaning the floors, and whatever. And here I come. So uh, you were out was, on town for the was, weekend, and they were working. <laughs> there, there was no winning. So a lot of them, a lot of them, have resented me for that. How yeah, bad? Um, but I could tell. I can. I could definitely understand. You know. Uh, how they felt. And, uh, to be honest with you, uh, it was a miserable experience to come, to come back, you know, cause I didn't like boarding school and even leaving, I, I was like, Shh, this isn't forever. I'm gonna have to come back. Mm. But my mother stuck to her word and she, two years was the limit.
0: So, okay.
2: So at the time, my brother, uh, who's like I said, 11 years older, was attending the university of South Carolina as an engineering student. Mm. And so he told her, why don't you send him here so he can learn English? Mm. And so he wrote a letter um, saying, hey, send my brother. He can learn English, blah, 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 blah. And we took that letter to the U.S. Embassy in Abu Dhabi. Um, The letter is from who again? Your brother? My brother. Just just an invitation. Oh, okay. You know? Um, And we went to the embassy. And uh, I don't know what kind of pre-work my mom had done before, but I know she was on the phone a lot. And we go into this room that was probably a little bit bigger than this space. Not much, a little bit. And I bet there were 50 people in there. Just like, packed like sardines waiting to, there's a little window and everybody wants to get a visa to America. And lo and behold, we get called. Just like, looking around like, wow, So we'll go back and, um, this office, really fancy office, the ambassador's office, you know. But it's not the ambassador, there. it's like some kind of Counselor that, that mm-hmm. works for him, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and you're at this point, you're in the United Arab Emirates, Emirates, Abu Dhabi. Okay, you know, okay. All we right. drove. We had to drive from Dubai to Abu Dhabi, long drive in the desert.
1: Okay.
2: And um, um, he's sitting like where you are. I'm sitting over here. My mom's sitting over here. My dad's sitting over here. He's talking to him. Uh, I don't know what they're saying uh, uh, because my mom doesn't know English, but she does know some French. Maybe mm. that's what she. Was. I don't remember. And <clears throat> uh. So, you know, we stand up and he puts his hand, the counselor puts his hand on my back and pats me on the back, room And I don't know what was going on. So I looked over at my mom and said, what What? what what's going on? And she said, he's saying, have a good life in America. Like, doesn't he know that he's just giving me a 90-day visa? Mm-hmm. And and she nodded. You know, of course, she knew then. he knew that I'll be able to stay because we're, we're Lebanese and... Because of the war situation And uh, mm. I, I didn't know I was just going To go see my brother You know I, I didn't have oh, an idea okay. And so um, I, I didn't quite get The gravity Of the situation Until um, You know She packs my clothes And we get all We had to do this twice Because the first time I didn't get to go For some reason I don't mm. understand But um, Get clothes New clothes All well, I don't know And then We go to the airport uh
0: Hmm. I don't know if I can do that. Mm-hmm. So
2: <clears throat> we go to the airport, and my mom tells me, you know, tells me goodbye, and you know, she says, "Go," and uh, <clears throat> she says, "Don't look back." <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know when you're. Uh, I guess 13 at the time. If somebody tells you not to look back, you're gonna look back. Right. So I kept looking forward, looking forward to the last chance. I knew I was going to make a left and, you know, be gone because mm-hmm. uh, I was at a corner. Mm-hmm. So I looked back, <laughs> sorry, mm-hmm. and um, she had fainted into my dad's arms. i saw her. I said it's very traumatic. So, and um, that was that was that.
1: Wow! Yeah, her youngest son, her oldest son's already in America. Yeah, her youngest son just got a nine-day visa, but she knew that he's going to go to America and stay in America. Puts him on a plane and says
0: goodbye. Man, yeah! Wow, sounds like you have great parents.
2: Well, the 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 Lebanese. Um, um The Lebanese, uh, not just the Maronite Christians, but certainly the, the I'm well aware familiar with the Lebanese Maronite Christian story, you know, they came out of um, <clears throat> they came out of <clears throat> Syria um, and settled into Lebanon to escape persecution. and they settled very mountainous parts of Lebanon so that they uh, would not be easily accessible, but uh, you know the Ottomans and uh, you know, Muslim rule, whatever. And then there's other sects in Lebanon too that, that, you know, escape from where they are. And so they're very persistent people that in order to survive, you have to be a hard worker. I went to a town last time, well, not last time, but a couple of times, you know, a few years ago when we visited, we were, we went to this town and um, <clears throat> it's, you know, really steep hills and they built these terrace walls into the mountains and then they have flat dirt, right? It's because you can't you can't plant anything in a, in a steep hill right. like this, right? You know. And uh, the guy was telling us that um, the, the you know after you know from thousands of years ago when they used all the cedar trees in Lebanon to build ships and fire whatever firewood <laughs> and whatever, a lot of the soil in these steep areas would erode and be gone. Mm, mm-hmm. And, but they these people didn't have a choice. They couldn't go live somewhere that was, you know, they had to make the best of what they had. Mm-hmm. So they would um, break the rocks of the mountain and build these walls, and they would they would go down into the valley with a donkey and, and their kids or whatever, and they would fill up buckets of dirt because all the dirt was in the valley because mm-hmm. of the erosion washed and they would scale up the mountains and fill up these these walls that were four wow. or five feet, six feet tall yeah. with dirt. And I was like, well, how long does that take? And he goes, well, they worked on it multi-generationally. Oh so, my goodness! So you, you started it, but your 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 grand grand grandkids got to finish it. And this is
1: the uh, this is the
2: lineage that your parents are from. So so this? that's the kind of stuff that they they had to do in the mountains. Okay. They're, not, they're not specifically from that town.
0: Sure, but okay. my town
2: is full of those terraces. I, I don't know. All of them were built like that. I had to bring the dirt. The terraces are all over Lebanon like that because yeah, it's a mountainous country, and you got to have flat land to to plant I see. things. You
1: know. Yeah.
2: um my my family um, came from a town not Hamena where where I am from but their ancestors my, all my family is from Hamena but their ancestors going back to 1500s came from a town a different town um, but uh, they came to uh, my understanding is they came to Hamena because they knew how to um, uh, farm silkworms mm. and Hamena was a silkworm worm area and so they went to do that and from the um, farming silkworm and doing it themselves on the side as well they bought land and settled there and i see generations yeah Yeah. the multi-generational
1: projects like that is not something we're very familiar with in america you know i think
2: that's a lesson (laughs) that
1: we don't really have these days it's it's all about just here and now um
2: have you seen your parents since yeah, so initially, I, you know, I would go every year or every other year. Um, but, you know, with time, you know, then they would come every second or third year. My mom, more than my dad, because he had work. But then, they, you know, they were trying to save up money and go back and rebuild their house. You know, mm-hmm. they were sending money. They were trying to, you know, their, my house was destroyed. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, so I remember going back to Dubai for two, three summers Mm. Uh, you know, and then going to Lebanon only one of those times because it was kind of off limits for a while, you know, still dangerous. Um, is that what you mean? Off it, limits. It was, my, uh, my hometown was, yeah. Okay. okay. And then what's good going, if you're just going to be in Beirut, it wasn't the same right. thing, you know? So, and we really kind of stayed away from our hometown, um, uh, because it was occupied by Syria. Mm. And the Syrian army had a a way of uh, capturing people and torturing them. And it was pretty, uh, you didn't want to cross the wrong person. It was pretty brutal. Mm. And um, so uh, George W. Bush, um, during his presidency, there was an incident with the Syrians. And he gave them an ultimatum to leave. And uh, since that time, we've been going back frequently because they left and oh, okay. we, can, we can go back. So last year, I went back twice. The year before, oh, okay. I went once. So, uh, but my mom passed away in 2010. Oh, okay. I was going to ask if you were still living. Um, okay. My dad is doing really well. Oh, okay. How yeah. old is he? 86.
1: Really? Yeah. Okay. That's the, about the age, I think, of uh, Grandpa like yeah. Our Probably grand, my, my mom's probably,
2: dad. My dad, my, grand, my dad right now could probably do a CrossFit class.
1: Really? I think so. He's fit. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Did your mom and dad have a good relationship?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, they, it was a, they eloped. Uh, okay. You know, they uh, they um, uh, life was a struggle, you, mm-hmm. know, not, you know. My mom uh, told me one time when she got a little too... So, so I went back one year and, and uh, we stayed up late because my time is off, you know, and she sleeps during the day, so she was staying up. And uh, she, she told me... Uh, uh, she told me that uh, when I was born, uh, the promise that she made to herself that she would raise me, that nobody else would raise me, because my brother was born in Kuwait, and when he turned five, she had to send him to Lebanon to live with my grandparents because they didn't even have schools then in, in, oh, wow. in Kuwait. So that was really a traumatic experience for her. So, mm-hmm. so her uh, having given me up to go to America was just another slap in the face. Because uh, sure, and you know that's the that's the problem with the war and instability is that families don't really get to make choices uh, mm-hmm. for themselves. They're victims of the circumstance. Mm-hmm. But uh, she definitely believed that you know both her sons would be better off. Uh, mm. Not there, and I think she was right. Mm-hmm. I have friends that are my age that, you know, I saw some of the war, but not as much as my friends that stayed there, and uh, they have they have mm. symptoms just like uh, a soldier would, like you hear soldiers having a PTSD, post traumatic st- stress disorder, mm-hmm. I guess. Yep. Um, yeah, p- civilizations get that too. The the civilians get that too when they mm-hmm. live under under bombs and kidnappings and torture. Yeah, I and, you know, believe that. Yeah, so uh, we take so much for granted, you know. Oh, yeah. But, um, uh, you know, stability and civility and justice mm-hmm. and um, some way political, politically being able to resolve differences, whether mm-hmm. it's through a court or through uh, change in government or what have you, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's happening again in Lebanon today. Um, you know, Lebanon is, you know, basically overdid it on, uh, on borrowing uh, the people's money. The government's broke, can't pay it back. Um, so uh, now you have people in droves trying to leave, families being split. Um, the Lebanon is going through a serious time right now. Right now. Right now. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's probably worse economically than the Civil War. At the time of the Civil uh, War, there was a better economy than there is today. Um, in the country. Unemployment is believed to be at 40%. Um, Whoa. Yeah. So if you go to the bank, you if you're fortunate, you had bank savings and uh, dollars, um, you have to go stand in line and you get $200 a week. Whoa. That's it. Wow. Because um, they don't have it they they were crediting they were taking in all this dollar deposits crediting interest in dollars they didn't have a surplus in mm-hmm. in, in trade surplus or um some balance of pay, positive balance of payments and so they they're going through it right now it's going to be very tragic for the mm-hmm. people of Lebanon and um interestingly enough um the for lack of a better word, the warlords of the nineteen eighties Civil War, nineteen seventies and eighties Civil War, they're still there in charge today. Mm. They they, you know, concocted a government that that they get a piece of and so they're still there. So so you have a very um, very um, uh, you know, it's 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 like a clansmanship. You know, uh, yeah, uh, 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 you know, us against them. Everybody's to own people. You know? Okay, but the bottom line, they can't even take care of their own people. Forget the, you know, if, if each could take care of their own people, then the people would be fine. Right, but there's not enough to take care of everybody.
1: Interesting. So, so they have the you have the government, this the state government. And then you had these warlords that sort of had like almost like minority interest in that government. Is that sort of a way of looking at so it? So
2: basically, they are the prime ministers and uh, and the and the ministers of the new government. The warlords yeah. are.
1: Oh wow. Yeah, ones, okay. Yeah.
2: I mean, they were they were you know call them warlords. They they were they were representing their people.
1: Sure. Okay. During
2: the civil war. and yep. uh, With a gun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but after the civil war was over, the gun becomes economic power. Yeah. Um. And mm. that's and that's much more profitable.
1: What, what does are the people leaving now because of the economic situation or because violence has sprung up again?
2: So the violence has been pretty much contained. It's been, you know, burning burning uh, uh, rubber tires in the streets mm. and vandalizing banks. Uh, there's been a little, there's been a little bit of thuggery, like people that uh, that don't agree with uh, with the protesters, would infiltrate them and try to storm, strong arm them. Um, that's a that's a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem the country has another problem, which is that uh, the Hezbollah is armed in Lebanon. So you have the military and you have Hezbollah. And uh, mm. so it, Hezbollah is a political power in Lebanon, representing many Shiites. Mm. But you, you also they have guns, um, and um, uh, so you have a little lopsided representation, you know, amount of power. So it's it's going to be it's going to be. Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm very I'm very concerned for for mm. Lebanon. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, they've dug a hole for themselves, and politically, they're not giving the West much incentive to help them because, you know, they don't want to reform, very slow to reform to IMF standards and what the IMF wants. And on the other hand, uh, they're in some ways, they're running a very pro-Iran policy because of Hezbollah. So it's it's going to be very difficult for them. What was that policy? Pro-Iran. Oh, pro-Iran policy. Yeah, pro-Iran oh. Because uh, Hezbollah is, uh, is, is very much uh, hmm. representative of Iran. Um, and this is, uh, you know, this is kind of the Middle Eastern, uh, the problem in the Middle East is you have this struggle going on between the Sunnis and the Shiites, and the Sunnis are predominantly represented by Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, and Iran, even though it's not an Arab country, they, you know, they they're, they speak Farsi, and they have the Shiite religion in common with many uh, Shiites throughout the Middle East, and so mm. there's this power struggle. mm mm-hmm. And, um, you know, quite frankly, the, uh, the you know, I think I'm, I'm in finance, so what I see when I look at the Civil War in America and when I see when I look at the Middle East, I see uh, causes are purely economic. Um, you know, you just have a small pie and just not enough to divide up, so you have a small group of people that try to corner the pie.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But, you know, you have a pretty big pie in, in the Gulf states because they have Oil, mm-hmm. um, but they are you know that that doesn't get invested in the rest of the Middle East. That's to, for to benefit them and invest in other parts of the world. So you have very little capital, productivity, so a lack of opportunity. You need some mm. basic inputs in an economy mm-hmm. uh, like a a a, uh, a fair system, uh, a, 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 a law and order. Uh, but you also need some capital. And you need uh capital you know, capital plus ideas and starting businesses equals productivity mm-hmm. uh but you know if you're wiped out every ten years how how big right. an investment are you going to make yeah you know? absolutely so it's, so um so that, that's the struggle for most of the the Arab countries it's purely hmm. economic um you know and until they resolve that there's they're not going to um, mm-hmm. you know? but but isn't it
1: it's Sort of a catch-22 then, isn't it? Because you don't get better economics until you have more certainty or peace, but you're not getting the certainty and peace because the economics aren't good, right? So it's almost like a chicken and egg thing. Like, what's the way forward there?
2: Yeah, but, you know, uh, through... Some instability. You can make for. We can make progress with the rule of law, and you can make progress. It's not like there's zero rule of law and mm. zero investment. You have mm-hmm. some. You have something to build on. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have to have things all perfectly lined up before the capital comes in. your sure. capital is always willing to take risk. And and uh, uh, but you know when you have a system where you don't have electricity. Uh, but you know, eighteen hours a day. How are you going to open up a computer, or servers, and and you know, right. call centers or whatever it is? I mean, yep. you know, uh, the, the, you, you go around Lebanon and every co- every building in Beirut has a diesel generator. Mm-hmm. And you're, co- you're going back. You're going on the go- on the government grid and to the private grid. Government, mm-hmm. where the pollution everywhere from diesel motors burning everywhere for for power. Mm-hmm. Um, that has health consequences for the people oh absolutely um, then you, you got um a, you know a lack of uh, a, a fair judiciary they can you can you can basically strong arm people or bribe them because that's the system mm-hmm. and so when somebody comes in and wants to open up, a european company comes in wants to open up a mall in in beirut make a massive investment well, the minister of power wants five percent stake for free because he's going to hook him up to electricity, and the minister of water wants a piece. And before you know it, they're saying adios. You know, this isn't worth oh, it. You know? Wow! So, yeah. so it's very much this kind of system that they learned uh, from the Ottoman Empire. You know and uh these things you know used to happen in in, in the west too but mm-hmm. you know we, we have corruption we call it and mm-hmm. we fight it all the time it still happens today here yeah but it's to the extent so you don't have to, to completely root out corruption to have a good economy you know mm-hmm. you can still have crooked politicians and have you know it's just a matter of degree
0: <laughs> right <laughs> it exactly. matters a
2: lot
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah i know. see that for sure now, um, forgive my geography, but does uh, does Lebanon border Iran or how? If not, how close to it is it?
2: It's not very close. It's a long way. It's so uh, well by American standards, it's just a few states down the road. But that's okay, different, uh, yeah. So you have Lebanon's a very small country. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you Lebanon is a kind of a long country along the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Okay, it looks like a, almost like a banana, a little fat mm-hmm. banana, but from from. The bottom of the top, the longest two points, uh, is like driving from here to Chattanooga, 128 miles. So it's a very small country. Whoa. From north to south, the country, Lebanon,
1: is like driving from Nashville to Chattanooga. Yeah. Wow. Yeah,
2: it inhabits more than 4.5 million people. Wow. Yeah, they're big cities. So, so you got that, Lebanon's on the coast, and then um, surrounded by Syria... Okay, uh, most of the most most of that, except for the southern part, is with uh, Israel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then then you have uh, so so we got Lebanon here, Syria here, Israel here, you've got Jordan here, you mm. got Iraq here, and then Iran is beyond that. Gotcha. So you so got to go through Syria, Iraq, and then Iran.
1: Okay. Um, now when you say that Lebanon has adopted some Iranian policies or, or or maybe has, is doing that now, what's the end, what's the potential end result of that?
2: Well, the end end result is what's happening is you have sanctions on banking and, uh, 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 this administration has just put sanctions on Syria for, for, for the similar things. Mm. um, but, um, U.S. putting so those few, sanctions yeah. on or the U.N.? No. Um, uh, the Trump administration oh, put, okay. put new sanctions on Syria because of what they're doing to their population. Um, the, um, so, so the consequence is that, uh, well, first of all, when you have an armed, gov- armed militia within the country, they get to bring things in and not pay taxes. Mm-hmm. So you have a revenue shortfall. Then they don't pay for the, for the energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the electricity because they they can They're, they have guns <laughs> okay. so so you cut the lack of revenue and uh, then on top of that um, you're trying to curtail the the movement of of capital for ter- terrorist organizations so then your banking system is held hostage because. Because of that. So they won't accept reforms that, the, that the, the West wants in order to help Lebanon because that will curtail their ability to move money. Sure, that makes sense. Um, and then on top of that, you've got the, but you know, uh, Hezbollah is uh, is there because the Shiites were underserved by the government. Uh, like and they didn't build schools for mm-hmm. them they didn't so it was there to to and they took they you know they they provide a lot of services so again you have failed government mm-hmm. somebody's going to take up the the, the right the, the, make up the the shortfall yeah and uh there's consequences to that. sure um, do you have
1: it sounds like a lot of your you would still have a lot of family in lebanon
0: yeah
2: yeah i have a um, yeah, i have a lot of cousins uh, dad uncles uh and, you know, we, we consider second and third cousins very close. So mm-hmm. We have a lot of lot of cousins.
1: Um, okay. Yeah, you you, you yeah. know your second and third cousins? Yeah.
2: And really? When I, go, when I go, they come visit. And I go oh, visit yeah. Them. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I know any of my second cousins. Yeah. See, it's a little different. I live in a town of 10,000 people at the most peak, okay. peak during the summer months. And uh, everybody knows everybody, and there's like okay. four or five churches. You go to one of them, you're most likely your mom went to one, your dad went to the other one, so you've okay. got that going too. Okay. So it's very, uh, uh, very. Uh, everybody knows everybody, and if you, if you dig long enough, everybody's related somehow. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah.
1: that's great. Now, um, you were getting emotional uh, talking about leaving your mom and dad, which is obviously understandable. Is that... Why is that? Is it because of the the traumatic experience, or is it because you you know you loved your mom and your dad very much, and you're 13, you're leaving them? What's behind that emotion?
2: Well, it's just there's no best option. I mean, what, what would be the emotion if you left your kids? I mean, um, can you know, For one, for one is that uh, uh, my mom is gone, uh, so she never quite. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't think my mom spent five years of her life with her kids in, in under her roof, you know, and that's pretty traumatic for a parent. Yeah. Um, and yet the, to the child too, you mm-hmm. know, it's more normal to, to actually grow up. Uh, to be so, so you feel like you're denied a childhood of, of, of sorts, you know, you have to grow up really fast. Um and sometimes you do it very sloppily, but you have mm-hmm. you have no choice you have to mm-hmm. grow up and you have to make something out of your life because yeah. you were given a chance, and a lot of other people weren't <laughs> yeah so um so so definitely uh, there's consequence to everybody's life that's involved mm-hmm. whenever there's war when there's separation when there's a loss when you know mm-hmm. um so uh uh yeah uh, you would think like, gosh, you know this would all resolve and You know, 10 years down the road, we'll be family again, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, decades go by. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, you don't get those years back, you know, you don't get
2: your childhood back. In her last 20 years, her health was compromised, so she couldn't come here. The last trip she came here and stayed with me quite a while. Um, it was, it was very stressful for her. Okay. Uh, she had, she had surgery right after because she had the underlying condition going on. Mm. And that pretty much after the surgery, she couldn't leave Lebanon. She wasn't very mobile. I
1: she see. She could
2: get around very slowly and yeah. so on. So it was, uh, and that's, that's, you know, a lot of that was really stress in her life. Mm-hmm. That, that, uh, you know, it causes stress is uh Oh, absolutely. stress is a huge yeah, killer. Absolutely. What was her name? Siham. Okay. And Siham Rashid Busamra. Okay. And what's your dad's name? Joseph Isaiah Busamra. Okay. Wonderful. Um
1: how do you so I'm sh- I'm sure that experience obviously has sort of informed and affected your entire life leading up to now. How how does it how does it affect you now? Like, do you, you know, just, do you feel a sense of independence? Can't trust anyone? Do you, do you feel like you always have to, I'm just kind of curious how something that I know very few people that have went through something that traumatic Mm -hmm. and it's going to affect you the rest of your life, good, bad, or indifferent,
2: you know what I mean? But
1: how do you feel like that affects you now?
2: So I noticed these things about myself and in how you know I react to different things and whether that's actually good or bad or whatever. But you know, anytime my my, my instincts for most of my life used to be that anytime anywhere in the world there was somebody yelling for help before they were being abused i felt like it's incumbent on us to get involved and help them because they're human mm-hmm. beings and mm-hmm. we should settle uh, every, every wrong. we should we should make it right because we have the power to do so and if you have the power to do so then you have an obligation to do so um that is uh for better or for worse that is embedded in my dna you know um, but I've also grown older and wiser and realized that you have to pick your battles in life. You can't be like that every time, every place, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be, you know, so that's... You that's, can't save everybody. You know, and sometimes trying to save everybody, you end up being the bad guy in the situation. You know, we, we, we get a, well, United States, we we'll United say we, we get, the States, uh, we get a, a, um, you know, we, we get involved in times w- with fully good intentions. Um, but it, whether it's because who we back, you know, doesn't adopt the, the, uh, fairness or, or treats the people well after we leave or during whatever, then we're blamed for the sins of others, even though right. we, you know, and, uh, and now I, you know, I don't know how responsible you, we are for that, but I know the responsibility is not zero. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if we can totally be blamed for that because at some point people have to fix their own governments, their own societies, and you know you just can't do it all for people. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you can definitely keep some bad guys at bay. You know, mm-hmm. we certainly did it with Hitler. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so so you know so you are hypersensitive to people's uh, people's dilemmas and mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know. Um, you're also very in tune with the manipulation of governments and propaganda, you know, um, because, um, you see it in multiple countries. So you see your own government doing, you see their government doing it. You see how, you see how the Venezuela's do, you see how the Russians do it. Yeah. I think a lot of us, uh, uh, are, are a little bit naive to that. But, but now I think maybe waking up to it a little bit with the internet and Facebook, you know, that's what I think is so, is so ironic about, you know, the whole thing about, you know, Russian interference or whatever, but, you know, governments have been trying to be infiltrate and, and, you know, yeah, do things like that for centuries. You know, Facebook is just, just another medium. Man. Right. <laughs> There's nothing new about that. Yeah. You know? the, um, and 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 the opposite is true. We've been accusing people of communism for a long time, too. Yeah, yeah, that, that is true. People have nothing to do with communism, yeah.
1: you know? So, uh, do, do you feel that Americans tend to be very naive or more naive when it comes to some of these things and just sort of think, oh, it's the United States of America. Our government wouldn't manipulate us. Our news wouldn't be jockeying and positioning and, and positioning things. You know, we can sort of trust what we hear and, and believe what people are saying. Do you think Americans tend to be very naive when it comes to well, those types of I, I things? I think
2: we're naive in multiple ways, not just that. Um, the American experience has been very positive. Uh, this has been a very successful run that started in, what, the 1800s? Mm-hmm. Um, or 17. Well, but if you want to start back in Columbia century, or Independence, yeah. whatever you yeah. want to do. But... Um, and also, our, our lessons in history, I am losing the volume a little bit. Our lessons keep, oh, there careful, we go. Can... Our lessons in history basically teach us what? Um, independence from a tyrant. That, that was the British. Okay? And then we fought to save the world. Bad guy, good guy. And then we had an, an a very important moment in our history, which was the civil rights movement. Which anything that has to do with prejudice... Whether it's under Hitler or or uh, or uh, uh, against uh, Black Americans, is prejudice is bad, and so that's when mm-hmm. we move forward from that. The problem with applying that lesson—it's a good lesson—that should be well heeded because you know prejudice is very much can be controlled, uh, and therefore should be you know mm-hmm. uh, from ourselves and in ourselves and you know in, our, in how we learn. But we assume that that's the problem when other people are being discriminated against or seemingly discriminated against. So what I mean by that is like um, you have a lot of anti, uh, uh, anti, um, how do you put this, you have a lot of anti-American sentiment in America because they, they ascribe negative things to what we've done in the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, sometimes like, you know, it's, it's shocking to me how much good we've done in the world. And, and, uh, um, you know, take, take, for example, the, the, you know, the, The the problem in the Middle East, okay, is not a Palestinian issue. Um, The problem in the Middle East or Shiite Sunni, the problem in the Middle East is that the Middle Easterners are not ruling themselves fairly and equitably. Mm. They are their own abusers of their society. Funny story, I I just read an article in a a Lebanese newspaper that translates Mm -hmm. to English it was a girl writing a, a, um, a letter to her grand-grandfather, she was long gone, telling him that he wish she wishes that he had not stood up to the French occupiers of Lebanon and gained uh, independence for Lebanon because we would be better off today if we were ruled by the French mm. than to be... What we, for what we have mm-hmm. because we rule ourselves ruthlessly with a, with a and this is this is a pattern i mean look at how Saddam Hussein ruled his people look at how uh uh, uh Bashir uh, Assad sorry uh, Assad rules his uh, his um um uh, Syria look at uh, you know it, it's there is no equality we assume that you know so, so therefore we make we we're being you know uh, prejudiced against Muslims because of X, Y, Z. But reality, this isn't Muslim Christians. Whatever country you are in the Middle East, you, you, the people are oppressing themselves. Uh, you know, they're not giving each other freedom. They're not giving each other... You know, it's like, okay, you ruled me for 100 years. Now it's my turn. Mm. You know, there is no sharing of power or equality or whatever. And by the way, when there is, we're going to just use it to enrich ourselves at your
0: expense. Right.
2: You know, so so, um, just applying the, the 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 American civil rights experience to the Middle East does not even put you in the right ballpark. I see, uh, and that that's, that to me, it's a, it's a it's a we can't look at it as a, a prejudiced thing, a racist thing, whatever it is, an, is. It is a is it a civilization that has not figured out how to function within the rule of law. Okay mm. and they are victimizing each other. Yes. The people are being victimized in in in, in Syria, in Iran, in you name it in in uh any uh Egypt, um you know um we assume you know that if we put equality in place and people treat people equally or whatever. But in, in fact, when, when we took down the uh, Saddam regime, um, all the Shiites uh, of, of uh, Iraq wanted to do was, was keep the, the Sunnis out of the government mm-hmm. because now it's their turn to rule.
1: Yeah. And here we okay. go again. Okay. It's almost like just it's it's different day, same story. We have a different roller, but we have the same problems. Yeah.
2: and then and then there's the issue of tolerance, and um, there is no tolerance for other religions in most of the countries. Mm. Um, you, know, you, you know, there's just, uh, uh, I mean. <laughs> Jews used to be all over the Middle East. I think like there, there's there's there, there's no more Jews left in the Middle East other than Israel. Really? You, know? uh, uh, you can go on and on and on about different ethnicities and yeah. different ethnic groups. Um, there there is no fundamental belief in 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 that. Uh, you have to have tolerance. And, and when people say that historically, I'm not talking about modern day, but historically when what, what they meant by tolerating other religions was that you surrendered your rights and then you could be tolerated. But as a precondition was you had to surrender your rights. Right. That's not really not what tolerance. we mean when we say tolerance. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. Uh. So going back to your point, you're, you're, I think you were making a point there I don't want to pass over too quickly, but w- w- is it safe to say you're saying the civil rights issues that we have in America is that we've had in the past and still have is not the same as the unrest and say, Lebanon. It's apples and oranges.
2: I wish it was the same because it would be so much easier. Yeah. Uh, um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're in Lebanon, for example, when I go talk to my cousins and, and the, you know, especially the new generation... There is not really like hostility towards different sects or different religions. It's, it's, uh, Lebanon is, is a multicultural, multi-religion, uh, a little bit unique, right? Because you have a lot of the other countries tend to be, you know, you know, one religion, one.
1: Oh, really? Yeah.
2: So oh, if you okay. go to the Gulf states, they're all Sunnis. Oh, okay. Um, you know, there's, a. uh, Egypt is mostly shiite muslim you know so there's you have that so uh, and, and that doesn't happen by accident i mean there's mm-hmm. been ethnic cleansing going on in those in those countries for many many years i mean coptic christians were the biggest christian uh, culture in the middle east they're all in egypt uh, they're they're a minority, and they're not even allowed. You know, many things they cannot do. So hmm. this is by design. You know, mm-hmm. so, but I, I don't think Leb- Lebanon is much more progressive in the in the in the, the culture and so on. Has always had that that multiculturalism. It only took like a really turn for the worse during the civil war. I see, and since then the people. The people uh, kind of recognize the problems with that and there's, there's definitely, you know, however, the systems of government have organized themselves around those prejudices. You know, just like we have Republican Democrat, they have, this mm-hmm. office is held, sorry for banging on the table, mm-hmm. this office is held by uh, a Shiite, this office is held by a Sunni, this is your piece of the pie, this is my piece of the pie. this is my budget, you don't mess with my budget, you don't audit my budget, so, so it has been very ingrained into the system of government. I get to hire people in my area, nobody, no, there's no I audits, see. there's no, yes. so it's just, it's, so So while the people are over here, the government is over here, and if yes. you listen to what the protesters are saying, they want to get rid of secularism, they don't want things based on secularism, because it's, it, you know, but through secularism, they're able to divide the pie, and everybody feeds their group, and the, the very select few enrich themselves on the top, mm-hmm. and, um... You know, uh, there's, there's about 4 million or four, four, almost four and a half million Lebanese in Lebanon. There's over 6 million Lebanese outside of Lebanon. So basically what we do is you just export one generation after another. And it's really a great business model for Lebanon because they leave and send money for their parents to put in the bank and eat and whatever. And that, that money is, goes in the bank the government borrows it and, and divides it up among projects for all the rich people Whoa! and and, the, and, and it just keeps going co- and, and you wow. have a lot of governments when you look around the world if you understand the economic situation the economic formula they have put together you get at the exactly what's wrong with the country it's, it's usually a few people enriching themselves at the expense of others
0: mm-hmm. lack of
2: investment in people capital so mm-hmm. therefore you don't have you, you, you lack the you know, basically in Lebanon there's very very well educated people in in a lot of places but they've been educated in private schools by their parents mm-hmm. you know the government is not investing in its people um but it's it's cronyism it's uh, you know and you know <laughs> it's it's not unique to Lebanon but mm-hmm. it's a matter of degree and when it gets so bad in a country those are the consequences
1: yes so what are the people Where's the hope for the people? Is there is there hope that if enough people protest this, band together, say enough with the corruption and all this, that that it can trend in a better direction? Um, or is that just going to be a difficult without some sort of a insurgence or an uprising or taking over?
2: So according to the president of Lebanon, Michel Aoun, the best hope for the people is just to leave the country because that's what's been happening. Just send money back and we'll be fine.
1: Like they actually talk about that. He openly. said that. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow.
2: So, so, so the, uh, you know, this is like mother's kind of angry that like why do we have to give up one generation after generation okay like, hey, that's how it is
0: Wow <laughs> you know
2: so so I'm uh, sorry I, I lost your question because the first part of it triggered me but uh, yeah um, well how 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 does you mentioned
1: burning tires in the streets yeah it, how, how does this how does the frustration man itself it manifest itself
0: anger, among the
2: common people yeah there's a lot of anger a lot of um, loss of hope uh, um, just uh, you know the, People, you know, it's it's a, economically, it's a no-win situation. But, you know, mm-hmm. you have people driving Ferraris in Beirut and and uh, Lamborghinis and, and the nightlife is like crazy or whatever, you know, uh, especially before this collapse of the lira, the currency mm-hmm. collapse But mm-hmm. there's people that did very well on this. Imagine like, you know, if, if, if you were connected with government projects and you made a million dollars, out of government projects, and you put that money in the bank. Well, the government was paying you million dollars U.S. dollars. The government was paying you seven to ten percent interest on your dollars. So imagine if you had that Whoa. in there for a decade. You're doing really well. You're doubling wow. your money every seven years. So, so, so there's money there. You know, and then it's just uh, being uh, uh, being uh, uh, route and that's really what what governments and and political systems are, are yeah. ways to manage that wealth.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So what, knowing what you know about everything going on in Lebanon and some of the other countries experiencing some pretty significant unrest, knowing your history and your background and everything, your experiences, what are your thoughts on what's going on in America right now?
2: Um, so listen, this is a complicated subject, but let me just say like... Um, Cameras have really shown us some truths that we, we, we suspected. We, you know, we just you never know. We give the police, the, you know. So there are some issues that cameras have definitely bought out. Um, now you can argue that in some situations, you know, you, you are by law uh, obligated to follow lawful instructions from a police officer. Mm-hmm. That's been that's been tested with the Supreme Court, and so. Um, But, um, you know, so so at the most simple level, the most obvious thing is that uh, societies change and sometimes they they don't want to be policed the same way. And so policing will change uh, as a result of what what we're experiencing.
0: Mm.
2: However, I think that's really the tip of the iceberg. You know, when somebody protests in the street and says it's due to racism or systemic racism, they're protesting something. Their experience is not unreal, okay? They're not just like dreaming this up. But they may not actually know whether it's systemic racism or economic problem or where the problem is. It's just manifesting itself on blaming the cops. But I think the cops are getting a disproportionate blame for it because of some things that are easy to point out. Most people can't point out to what is systemically wrong about the way we structure our rules that disadvantages certain people. But they sure as hell can watch a camera and see racism and right. see people being pulled for no reason that then turns into let's bring the dogs out, let's search the car, let's, you know, and, and you, know, um, you know, I don't wanna, you know, some different people will point to different data points, okay? Um, but there is a serious problem um definitely in cities like Cincinnati and other cities that have done some research on this they have found that if you're pulled over and for the same for the same suspicion whatever the initial suspicion being pulled over um you're more likely to be searched, like seventy percent versus forty percent. Forty percent of people are pulled over. If I remember the statistics right in Cincinnati, that are white are searched. Seventy percent of people that are pulled over that are black are searched. Yes. Okay. And and then how many co- going through? Now the shootings. I'm not sure that you can prove numerically that there is a bias there. Apparently, the cops are shooting everybody. Mm. Um, but then again, we have cameras now. Mm-hmm. Cameras are highlighting a lot of things. But we got to act rationally when we see these outrageous things. You know, mm-hmm. when, when what happened in, in, uh, in uh, to uh, George Floyd it's tragic but i think we were all kind of in agreement that something's going to be done about this mm-hmm. you know i mean mm-hmm. the civil right, the federal federal government was on it as a civil rights case mm-hmm. the states were on it so so we're going to torture our society we so this is the difference between a civilized society as long as you have means to resolve something peacefully in the court of law you are much more powerful and i think i think um, there there's uh, unfortunately um, Um, it it hurts their cause. But we have to, as, as uh, we have to look, give them a, we have to not look away just because they used violence. We need to, Mm. we need to stay in tune, in in and, and see what are the issues. How can this be resolved? Mm -hmm. But the uh, uh, Martin Luther King knew that he could get this country to move in the right direction nonviolently. Nonviolence mm-hmm. is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? What are the what are you know? I can understand being a black man in this country and being angry. I would be too. Mm-hmm. You know what are all these angry white people for? What are they angry about? Mm-hmm. What's what's up with that? You know, you want to support your, your your brother. Go support him. Stand behind him, but don't don't take over their cause and make it into uh, uh, Antifa. Uh, mm. uh, you know, th- these people have stolen stolen a legitimate. Uh, legitimate protests and le- people that are legitimately have anger and feel like they've been wrong. Now, what the solution is may not be what they think it should be. That's mm. not their job, mm-hmm. you know. But it, but not clearly, their job to
1: get angry and cause unrest.
2: You mean? No, it's not their job to 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 make sure they tell you exactly why they're angry and how mm. to solve their problem. You know, mm-hmm. they call it systemic racism. It may be something else that we need to do. Right? Okay. So that's what I think that this is really uh, where where the, where it all comes down is this is really lack of opportunity. We have, Mm -hmm. you know, when there are consequences to globalism, there are consequences to immigration, okay? I'm an immigrant, okay? I think immigrants are an asset to this country. All of us are immigrants in one way or another, so I'm by no means anti-immigration. But when you bring in people that can take jobs at a lower pay, Mm -hmm. somebody suffers, Mm -hmm. and it's not me, okay? Okay? So we've got to be smart enough to put a construct together where we can have immigrants and we can also take care of the people that are here. Yes. Because it, you might be an immigrant today in this country, but tomorrow you won't be an immigrant. Somebody else yep. will be an immigrant. So we have to, so we have to structure the pie. And, and, and unfortunately, through globalization, we've left a lot of people behind. Mm. Okay, And it can't be solved with minimum wage. Minimum wage will never be high enough to give people hope in life. OK, we need jobs that come with much higher benefits and much higher pay. Mm-hmm. And that comes from what? From having the jobs here.
1: Yeah. And also minimum wage doesn't guarantee you get a job. You That's know, it right. could
2: lock a lot of people out. You, you just you, right. It could be self-destruct basically. You know? Yes. Um, so 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 what my point in saying that is that is that, um, uh, th- you know, the victim, Feels the oppression, feels the wrong, cries out for help. Okay. Sometimes you need a doctor to look at the symptoms and diagnose the disease. The patient doesn't always know what the disease is. Mm, mm-hmm. So, are
1: you saying that, in your opinion, we have maybe less? of a, a systemic racism problem in this country and more of an economic and opportunity problem or you say we have or do yeah, you so, say we have an issue on both fronts Yeah.
2: so the the anger over the, the videos okay is because one we have not desensitized to them good thing right, right. Yep. eventually we will we watch enough horror movies you'll get desensitized right but so so we got these videos now coming at us right so it's highlighting that hey this, this, we're angry about this, but why are you so angry about it? Not just because of the police brutality, obviously, you're getting angry, you're up, but you know, th- there's underlying, you're saying systemic racism, you're not just saying it's the cops. So, so I think the cops are getting the blunt of societal problems. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, uh, That doesn't say, that doesn't in any way excuse the bad behavior or whatever. I think there's a lot of practices that we have in this country that quite frankly give, the the courts have given too many liberties to to the way police conduct stops. Mm -hmm. Okay, But why have they done that? You know, uh, the, the irony here is that cops get, get in trouble and everybody is anti-police, including the mayor and all the council members. But if you really go back and look, who gave them that power? Who gave them the priorities to, to control crime in low neighborhoods? Who told them to that it's okay to make a stop and... Uh, because you're looking for other behavior. They can't do that on their own. It was all you know? it was all, we all politicians. Hired, we yeah. have hired sheriffs year in and year out from the mayor hires the sheriff or the council wants to control crime. You bring people in to control crime by doing what? by doing these kinds of behaviors, Mm. you know? So it's really kind of laughable that those same politicians that have been in there for 30, 40 years now all of a sudden point finger as the cops and say how bad they are, they have been part of that system.
1: Yeah, yeah. They made the system. Absolutely. We
2: have a very punitive culture. People get up. You look. if I get in trouble, okay, I'm going to be patient with camera or no camera. Because I'll, I'll get my day in court,
0: mm-hmm. you know.
2: But if I'm out on, I'm, if I'm poor, don't have two cents in my bank account, and I'm I'm getting in trouble, and if this guy arrests me, I'm out on parole, and the whole process starts over, and I lose my jobs, lose everything yes. else. So, so this is how we're treating with our fellow citizens. Yes. Right. So, so of course you're gonna run from the cops. Yes. Okay. They're not running from the cops because. You know, they know... They, listen, man, even person that's been drinking knows that that guy has a, has a gun. Yeah. You know? And to take his taser and run, you know, it's because you don't want to face the consequences because they're so severe.
1: Yes. Well, and doesn't that speak to then... Some of the systemic or institutional problem that we have here that really starts from the top.
2: This is systemic. Don't blame it on systems. This is exactly a system you wanted. mm. Uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving wanted extreme penalties for drunk driving because it's bad and people die. So we put Mm -hmm. it in place. That's not systemic. That's intentional by design. It's not accidental. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when, when you, when you tell a police officer that we want low crime, so go out there and, and make these stops and see what you can come up with. And, you know, you have people, people uh, that are assigned to a drug force and violent drug force, drug, whatever, are doing speed stops. Why are you stopping a guy for speeding when you're, when you're on a drug, drug. Uh, uh, for a task force. Well, yes. because you, you're using it as an excuse for something else. Yes. You know, but yep. listen, this is, this, is, this is minute compared to what the people are screaming about. We're, the, co- the cops are just following what somebody else told them to do. Right. Okay. These are the systems we have in place. And the, the, the thing is that, that what we do, what well, we put them in a position where they may have to protect themselves with a gun. You can't wait till somebody takes the first punch or the first shot before you respond back. So, you gotta have some way, you gotta guarantee that cop that if you respond, I got your back, so you, he responds. So, we, we gotta make, be cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. Now, how, be, how they behave, we can control that. Right? we can totally control that. But that's not really what they mean by systemic racism. Systemic yep. racism is why did that guy not even have the economic opportunity where we had to turn to selling small bags of cocaine or small bags of whatever so just to just to just to get money in his pocket. Yes, you know when people don't have hope, mm-hmm. less people will make it out of that system and will revert back to that kind of yes. behavior. Yes, yes, that's really what we're talking about. Yes,
1: here. I totally agree. So, do you? Do you believe then in your assessment that we do need to change some of those things? We got to have, we got to have our, we have to, we got to, we got to, we got to change things from the top down. Do you, do you think that we do need to make some of these changes at an institutional or top down level? Or are you saying, no, it's all fine. We can do whatever we want. We just need to behave according to the system that's given to us then.
2: No, we need we need to there there's besides these rules that we're talking about, we need jobs to come to these communities. Yeah. Okay? We incentivize corporations many different ways. We sure as heck could incentivize people to move the jobs instead of all of them going to South Korea or from China or somewhere else to give them incentive give them money for training, give them mm-hmm. money. Let's open up where those people are
1: Yes. Well, I totally agree with that. And that shift happened in the 70s and 80s. You saw a lot of jobs moving out of urban areas out into the country, yeah. and then you have these people that are in these urban areas that couldn't afford to go with the jobs, and now they don't have a job, yeah. and now they are getting... And then about that time, the drug war gets fired up, and um, and it's just this... All, there's just so many things happening at once, and you lump ed- in education in there too. I mean, I just think, you know there is this feeling sometimes that I have experienced from those that I've rubbed shoulders with. It was just sort of like, you know, anyone can pick themselves up by the bootstraps if they just decide and go for it. Well, dude, it's, uh, that's tough, man. I mean... uh, Look, I, I'm barely making it, and I had a good upbringing and a good education and these types of things. If you're from some of these areas where you, you you got a lot stacked against you.
2: Yeah, they don't know what they're talking about when I say that. Yeah. Sometimes, um, yeah. So listen... We can't pick everybody up. People do have to be act responsibly, whatever, but you've got to give them a chance. You've got to give them the mm-hmm. opportunity. It's clear when you look at the job environment in those areas that it's not them that's the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, the, the jobs aren't there. We, so, so the jobs you're talking about went from the inner cities mm-hmm. to the suburbs and then to China.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: So, so let's be honest about it, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we create these so-called welding jobs and all these jobs and they get paid $9 an hour. Mm -hmm. You're not going to establish a family and be a, be a, be a dad that stays with the kids and so on and so forth. Don't, don't blame him for running when he has nothing to offer them when he's there. Right. You know, so look, look. Personal responsibility is 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 paramount. You you can't make people take advantage of an opportunity in front of them, but you surely can surely can recognize a problem. And the reason I say it's not systemic racism, because uh, poor white people suffer suffer those circumstances just as much. Mm-hmm. So it's not systemic racism. It's something else. It's systemic mm-hmm. lack of opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay.
1: Interesting. Now, what would you say to those that would say? the issue actually is between the elites or the wealthy and the poor and the elites or the wealthy, or those in power are trying to make it about race so that your poor white people are pitted against your poor black people and you can let them sort of focus on each other and have their battle when all along you're the 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 elites or the people in power the wealthy people are just trying
2: to divert the tension away from themselves do you think there's something to that so um and under I think I can buy some of that under our political system where you have a Republican Democrat, okay, maybe I'm not as cynical as you are, but you have two party system, and each one is trying to carve out a piece for themselves, so you do use uh uh clansmanship and race mm-hmm. as a way for identity, so identify with me, I'm for you, they're anti this so therefore we're we're that so um and, and, and but you know too you got to blame the people some to some of this I mean we are mm-hmm. in a representative democracy here right mm-hmm. so so there's some misconceptions about how economics works on both sides uh, If you talk to somebody that I'm generalizing here stereotypes but um, an extreme to stereotypes, just to illustrate a point if you talk to somebody that's on the, on the left uh, way on the left, their solution to all of this is take the money from the rich and you'll solve this problem yep okay. Um, if there is, so, th- so, their theory on this is that if somehow uh, there wasn't rich people, you know, redistribution of wealth, you would resolve this. Well, if that's the case, then countries like Venezuela and Iran and places like that would be doing well because they don't have a bunch of wealthy people. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, that's flawed. And the reason it's flawed is because investment capital is one of the main ingredients needed to add to human capital to have productivity to have a standard of living to have a good life so the wealth that the wealth that bill gates has accumulated is an asset to this country not a liability yes okay it, the, but the way that view looks at it is like a zero-sum game. It's like there's a there's an only a, a finite amount of money and if he has it and I don't, that yes. means the only... But money is not finite in our system. Money is infinite in our system. As it's invested and it gets returns, it has a multiplier effect. So the reason we have a higher standard of living, and one of the ingredients for that is having the capital to be invested. If all the capital... Was in the hands of poor people, so they could just pay their bills. There wouldn't be enough capital to invest. To, to so there's there's mm-hmm. the left side how how really kind of misguided that view is. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you go the same thing on the opposite extreme uh, right. That oh we can't have minimum wage higher minimum wage is which, which is you know been a lot because you know why why should they make m- more for doing a measly job that needs no training when I only make $20 an hour, which I, I've seen this article one time where the the, the the journalist, I think Wall Street Journal, if I'm not mistaken, maybe New York Times, basically talked to this woman that felt like it was unfair that the waitress would, would under this new system that's being proposed, would get more money because that's a no-skill job, and she's worked her butt off to get to a, a, a operate heavy equipment in a very male-dominated uh a field, so mm-hmm. she could make uh, that kind of money. What she doesn't realize is, is again, it's not a zero-sum game. If the mm-hmm. minimum wage is higher, so wouldn't the so wouldn't the job that requires so much training and so on would pay even more?
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: so it's, it's like she's saying somebody's getting a free lunch where I had to work hard for what I got. Right. They're not getting it out of your pocket, mm-hmm. you know. And that that's so. So we have misconceptions when you have people coming in to interpret political events with really very misguided notions of how economies work, they often arrive at the wrong conclusion
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, of what the, what the actual, so it's not their job to mm-hmm. come up with the correct recipe for resolving it. Mm-hmm. That's the job of us our, in our society, our government, mm-hmm. to, to diagnose this, the patient and prescribe a medical plan to solve the problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, that's the job of our government. And the government, instead, going back to what you were alluding, instead, since these things are not easy to resolve, would we'll just as well just go back to the old tricks of it's Republican against Democrats. They're good, absolutely. we're bad, we're evil, good. And so, in that regard, I agree with you one hundred percent. That it's it, that's the design part.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. That's what poli- that's what politics is. It's clansmanship.
0: Yeah, you yeah.
2: Know? Give me my. Your, Allegiance, and and I'll, I'll, you know, that's that's.
1: Yep, yeah. A folk, when the focus is on reelection more than the benefit of the American people, that I'm, I'm going back to that, that, that. Um, the story you had earlier about how they would work on this mountain with those terraces over multiple generations yeah. what we have here now in america is not going to be an easy fix this is not yeah. a four-year turnaround this is not a two-term turnaround you know we've we've got some things to fix here but it's going to take some time and when we're all just concerned about the next election and our own political party more than the benefit of the american people that's a tough thing to spin out of
2: yeah yeah. And and you know the, the the old the old solutions that the government likes to pass a law and and they think they abolished everything, right? You can't you can't change somebody's heart with a law. Right. Right? Yep. So the same way with economic opportunity, you, you're not gonna be able to create a welfare system that solves this because by definition it it, it takes away the hope and the motivation to do better. Matter of fact, you somewhat trap people in it because yeah. the better the welfare system is, the more you have to make in order to escape it. You know, if, 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 if I am making X amount of dollars mm. for doing nothing, okay, in order for me to move my life forward, I got to make X so I can lose that X and then I got to do more. Yes. Right? So, so it, you know, and now, now you have more and more generations that are surviving on the basic benefit, mm-hmm. but what you need is you need to reach escape velocity. You got to make enough money to get out of this, this thing, mm-hmm. right? But you can't do that without good jobs. You're not going to do it with benefits. Yeah. Okay. When people might think, oh, health care. So health care solve nothing. A job solves everything. A good paying job with health benefits solves everything. Mm. Gives people hope. Gives people opportunity. Gives people the discipline to get up and go to work every day, so that their kid goes, grows up seeing dad go to work every day. So then they go to work every day and then they have a stable home environment. So then they go to school and they actually learn something because they don't have to worry about food on the table and have to worry about why there's so much drugs in their house, whatever. So this this is how you create family stability that then leads to education, that leads to one generation doing better than the other.
1: Interesting. Okay. So if we have a, say, a really great healthcare system and welfare system where you don't A lot of people don't need to work and they're taken care of with their income and their health care. You're saying we still have an issue because what are we doing? We are being provided for. The government's giving us this free money. We're being provided for. We're going to take care of our families, but we're going to be sitting at home on our butts all day getting bored. We're not going to be aspiring to get greater things. We're not going to be growing and learning and developing, learning new skills. We don't have that hope. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Give someone Um, the money, but you haven't fixed the problem. They need a they need a purpose. They need
2: that Man, work. Mo- modeling is part of life. I mean, that's how, you, that's, that's how a, a, w- one pet learns how to behave from the older pet, and the human learns to be- behave just like from the other. Mm. So you, are you aware of this book, um, um, 5,000 Hours or something like that? Malcolm? Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 Hours. Okay, yeah. so I'm not referring to that book. I'm referring to some other articles that I've read that he's, that he's written. And one of them kind of struck home. Because some people will use my experience coming to this country and say, see, you came here with nothing, and look at you, right? So why can't they do it, okay? Well, that's actually, according to him, that's actually a misunderstanding, okay? First of all, people like me that come here, not all of them succeed. There's not like some kind of a formula, right? However, there is a general propensity for people that come from outside the United States to do well. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? Well, first of all, you got positive selection. You got people that are motivated that sent you here or you came here. That's one. Second, you have a chip on your shoulder to prove yourself, okay? Third, you come from an environment where nobody had welfare. You worked your ass off, Mm -hmm. right? So in his argument... He makes me not special at all. He says, I was set up to succeed.
1: Okay. Because
2: I I came here. I didn't know the language. I had a chip on my shoulder. uh, My my mom and dad were hardworking. They sent it to me. I I, I had to not disappoint. I had ego. I I have all the formula that he describes to become successful. That's not what's going on when a kid is born and he doesn't know whether he has a meal or not and the mom doesn't talk to him because they're not, they want to talk to and she's too busy making zero an hour so that, so, you know, you have, you have no good daycare and yes. have, family is not around and well, whoever is around is not a good influence, mm-hmm. okay? That's, that's two different things, yes. okay? Of course, somebody from the other environment would succeed. Mm-hmm. that's not that's not saying anything about that kid that was set up to fail because he was born surrounded by people that had lost hope because life had beat him down because their government created a system that doesn't work Yes that's it
1: yes yeah, that's well said so how do we get jobs then for these people? Do we bring jobs back from overseas and then but then beyond that, we've got to get jobs more in the in the urban areas, right? But a lot of times, cities is not the place where you want to have your company because you've got city tax on top of every other tax.
2: Well, the, the, we, look at Nashville; we exempt companies left and right that are, that, are, that come here. So I don't think it's that at all. I think that I think that. Um First, you've got to calculate the cost of the problem before, because when you calculate the cost, that the ongoing cost of having millions of people incarcerated, and the cost to the system, and the, and the violence, that the violent crime is a product of that, of that environment, too, and that takes its toll on innocent people as well. You have to calculate. You have to somehow monetize or get your hands around the cost, because then solution, the cost of the solution will pale in comparison. But mm-hmm. when you're ignorant about the cost, mm-hmm. you, any co- any solution is going to be too expensive.
1: Yes. Well, d- and, and now aren't we starting to touch on some issues with corruption? Because yes, while the prison system and all of those things is a very expensive and there is a cost to it, it also benefits some people and those people have some power. And so those yeah. select people aren't going to want this to change.
2: Yeah. Well, it benefits a lot of people, not just select people. I mean, listen, uh, the reason we, back in the 80s, the streets in America in many cities were very safe. Sorry, very unsafe, okay? I've heard stories about Nashville in the 70s and 80s, Mm. okay? And so the solution that we adopted was to incarcerate people, to clean up everything. And you know what? Cities have come back. A lot of cities have. Mm -hmm. So, So incarcerating people works for some people,
0: mm-hmm. right?
2: You and me, you have a safer city, okay? But we now have a problem of how do we not incarcerate to be able to begin with, mm-hmm. okay? It's mm-hmm. possible that, there, that, that it's not that we did a horrible thing. It's just maybe we can do it better, Right, right. Yeah. So why can't? Why do we have to always vilify the past or vilify? Because we did clean up cities. New York was a horrible place. Yeah. You know, Bryant Park's my favorite park in New York City. It used to be called Needle Park. Mm. Okay. So, so, so maybe some of these practices did have a payoff.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: But society changes, and it sees the result of that, and says, you know, that's a little harsh. Why can't we do it a little oh, differently? Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. You know? Why can't so, we just move yeah. forward another step, another experiment? Yeah. We've done this many times.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I like about that perspective is it is more practical. In other words, who cares whether we should have done what we did in the 80s or not? It's 2020. It's done. Yeah. You because,
2: know? because what happens when you approach it that way, then everybody that did it is your enemy. Everybody right. that's for law and order is now all of a sudden your enemy. No, I'm for law and order too. I don't want enemies. I want people in law and order to back up my plan. Yeah. You know, but that's because the, the people in power, they want us to act this way. Mm. They want you to be one side and I'm on the other. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, for votes. I, I, for, yeah. For I mean, it's primarily. clansmanship. That's what politics yeah. is. You're my guy. You're going to vote for me no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah, but there yeah, is I a know. rebellion going on within within the parties. I think that I think that uh, uh, look, we had a no matter, uh, uh, no matter how you feel about him, we had a very outside candidate get elected, get nominated by the Republican Party, mm-hmm. and and shockingly won the election. Mm-hmm. But you know what, Americans are stupid. You know, he he was the only one that was not saying what they've already heard before. Right. Okay. So now we can vilify him. Mm-hmm. You know, by all the, the crazy antics that he does and uh, and uh, certainly uh, not the most politically correct person in the world. <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, but he does have a great weakness that we could really take advantage of. He likes to be liked and wants to be popular. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you did that, he could get him to do what you want because that's really what he wants. He's an egomaniac, as most people that run for president are.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Do you think there's a strong sentiment... Well, that's probably not the right question because I think the sentiment does exist, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on it, where it sort of vilifies someone who wants to grow, who wants to build, who has goals, who wants to build a better future, and and is sort of an animosity towards that person. True, yeah. To
2: bad reward system. It's like doing doing the opposite. Just because you have a problem doesn't mean that people that strive and want to overcome that problem are somehow evil. We we are. I mean, this is what I'm saying about about the negative lessons coming from all of this. Is that you know, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you can be angry about political justice or systemic racism, whatever you want to call it. Whether you diagnose the problem or not, it doesn't matter. But the bottom is, if you can't, you, how how are you going to build something? Going forward when, yeah. when, when, uh, when, uh, um, and look, cameras will change. Uh, we, we have to accept that. I think the police is coming to the realization now, but it's put the consequences of our laws that our mayors, our elected officials have supported, our sheriffs were hired to do. It's put the cons- consequences right in front of us in our living room. Yeah. We can no longer yeah. deny it and say, oh, well, the street's safe. We're fine. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. We have to come to Jesus moment and say, you mm-hmm. know, is this really okay? I have yes. a problem with this. Yes. You know, but is it really the police officer's fault? Well, see, that's the trick though, because when
1: this stuff happens, which is happening by design, these officers are following, they're doing their job.
2: Yeah. the guy. And, and so the, these instances are different. George Floyd, that guy was not doing his job. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah he I put was gonna, his yep. neck, right? Yeah. But yeah. I you, totally agree. But mm-hmm. Listen, you talk to cops. All the, I talk to cops all the time. Okay, you you get people irate at them the minute they pull them over. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of hostility towards cops that we're breeding, and that has Mm -hmm. consequences. Yes, exactly.
1: However, when something goes wrong, and George Floyd is going to be a bad example because I was clearly insane, wrong. Um, The attention, though, is what you're saying. The attention is at the level of the police. What do we got to do to get that attention going uphill to the people in charge that are making this... That are having these cops have that's way what, too
2: many interactions to begin with. That's what leaders. That's what leaders uh, do. Uh, somebody that picks up on that mm. and is not interested in playing a Republican against Democrats or the same old policies will sell, come out and articulate this, mm. and people will jump on board. That's mm-hmm. what leadership is, mm. you know. But we're not going to get it from the people that are that have been doing the same thing over and over again because even if they're smart enough to do it, their instinct is just. To do it the old-fashioned way, old-fashioned politics. <laughs> right. Uh, you're, I'm good. He's bad. You know, We're going to yes. divide up the country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to us to reject that. Yeah. You're totally right. Yeah. At, um, at, at the end of the day, we do have power, and people have the power in this country. Yeah. you know, People can only do bad things so long. I mean, heck, uh, Hillary Clinton even, I mean, how powerful is Hillary Clinton? She even got caught with her server. Yeah. So anybody in this country can go down.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, Where do you see the hope with all of this that's going on right now in America?
2: I think it's up to us to talk about it openly and these politicians would have to respond. Yeah. We need to talk about, hey, we want to look at this intelligently and we don't want you stupid... Generalizations about right. you know whether you like Black Lives Matter slogan or you don't like it. I don't care.
0: Mm. You know
2: I want to look at the problem and the solution. Mm-hmm. You know let's not let's not get let, they don't they get off easy mm-hmm. when you offend them with a slogan or a flag or whether you kneel or not or whether you're, you're both sides they get off easy when you when when you let them get offended. Yeah. You know because then they mail it in. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can't get offended. We need to demand that. Hey, we can, we can do better, and it's not just the cop. We we, we can have a better. That's easy.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
2: changing the rules that they play with, play mm-hmm. by. That's yeah. it, right? That's not really that big a deal. It's it's a it's a it's a red herring, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. That's a product of the cameras, you know. But there's more to that. When you're watching that go down and the anger of the people over that, okay, their 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 their, their circumstance in life is causing them to be angry because they don't see the hope to come out of their situation. Yes. We've got to give people hope. Yep. Even if half the people don't make it. Okay. As long as they die trying, they will die happy. hmm. Okay. But the, what we have right now is a new hope. Yes. That's, that's, the, that's the critical yes, part. Because and if you, your skin is black and you're male, well, psh, that's just pound more. You're, you're, the odds just quadruple. Yes. As long as you're born in the wrong... I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. there, there, are, there are very successful black families that raise kids mm-hmm. that have that can write their ticket to do anything. But I'm talking about the, the kids that are in these cities mm-hmm. where there's no hope, whatever. There's no good modeling around them or whatever. Of course, you're going to be angry. Yes. Yeah,
1: totally, you're justified. Agree. yeah. yeah. You're totally. justified.
2: Yeah. totally justified. You know, but but the the white guilt about it should be moved to be productive, you know, not mm-hmm. just be let's label everything racist and this will all go away. Nothing will go away.
1: Right. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good point. We're not hearing that so much these days.
2: Well, right now we're still in the in the state. You go, you know, kind of like any kind of traumatic event, you go through stages of remorse or shock Mm -hmm. is probably shock, remorse, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And right now we're the initial stages. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, the media is not very good at, at bringing the... Uh, most of the media the, 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 what I mean by media'm primarily referring to the the big boxes on the television screen
0: right
2: you know they basically take sides and just yes. feed oh my you know, goodness prejudices yeah, prejudice yeah. yeah. It, where do you it. get your news uh, i didn't i didn't have Fox or CNN until all this started, then I just got tempted and had subscribed on Hulu just because they were covering the minute by minute oh yeah, so that was a kind of a new. A new thing. So you but, go uh, Fox and CNN? Just, that's just recent. I, I okay. didn't have that on my TV, yet, you know. But uh, primarily, I like to read my news. Yeah, me too. Um, and I like to get it from people that tell different sides of the story, even mm. if it's a story part that, side that I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I did most of my learning growing up with this stupid, crazy idea. I don't know where I got it from, but I used to read books that I thought I disagreed with but I would read the book. And I learned that from one of my college professors that, that she made us, she would pick a debate topic, but she would pick which side you had to argue. You couldn't pick the side.
1: Oh yeah. I like that.
2: And so it taught you to really, you don't understand an argument till you make, to, till you can make an argument for it and against it. Yes. You know, and, and it It teaches you discipline and and analytical thought. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I learned from life is that, and it came, I think, from the frustration of coming from such a chaotic situation Mm -hmm. and uh, upbringing is that you kind of like gravitate towards what can explain all of this. So you're constantly sucking up knowledge Mm -hmm. thinking that you can explain it all somehow. Mm. And some of it you learn. You know, makes you wise, makes you a little more perspective. You know, uh, and it definitely o- o- overcomes hate. You know, my my first reaction coming out of the Middle East was that I hated those people, mm. and the hate was 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 always a problem because it wasn't consistent with my upbringing to hate somebody. So I was like, how do I how do I f- hate a group but not hate the individuals in that group? You know, trying to make these fine lines, and um, then then I you know. There was there was no satisfactory answer to it, so I, I decided that maybe there's more to this. Why does it happen? And that's where my fascina- fascination with macroeconomics and finance came in. Is that I you can explain so much of uh, uh, human behavior from economics and finance because that's the truth. You can't solve it just by economics and finance. Sometimes mm-hmm. you got to understand it because you got to understand that the people's feelings are real. They're not like a like a formula but uh, but a lot of the problems we suffer from are explainable and they've happened throughout history uh you know i i read some stories about how people that came from lebanon in the early days of the 1800s uh to north carolina they were they were like the the bottom of the social ladder they were they were like you know mm-hmm. um that's been happening. Uh, Irish were slaves at one time. Is it? Mm-hmm. So so my, my point in this is that you've got to understand why is this happening? How to understand how people get out of it.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
2: And, and so, so my, 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 and you know, uh, there's a, there's, there's always another side to something. You, you can't rationalize things with thought. Mm. You, can, you can, you know, you can't just, you know, what is it? Uh, uh paralysis through analysis. Right. You know? Yeah, totally. You, you yeah. gotta, you gotta figure out, you know, um, uh we have failed um to improve the economic opportunity to a lot of people mm-hmm. and they are they are telling us and we yeah. need to listen.
1: Yes. When you say you I totally agree and I appreciate your thoughts on that by the way very much. When, when you say you read your news, are you getting multiple newspapers? Yeah. Or are you time. reading
2: online? Yeah. So my 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 page got Barron's Financial I like a lot of British British stuff too. It's okay. Good. Um I, we got Barron's, uh Financial Times, uh Wall Street Journal, and then on um that's pretty much it on the apps that I subscribe to. And then you go on Twitter, I follow a ton of news okay. sources and then I read uh, topical books that you know from people that have an interesting perspective okay so so like you're
1: that. reading are, are you reading the news on your phone primarily through these apps
2: yeah and youtube and wow apps okay yeah i I do much better reading something than than having i think the the uh, Unless somebody has a really interesting interview with a with a like a a, a guy that has a lot to say, I, I have no desire to listen to talking heads. Oh uh, no, no, no! It's like oh I my totally God, agree. You know? Yeah. But if you if you get somebody that's really knowledgeable about the subject and is rational, and just, just, isn't just trying to make political points and jabs right. at other people? You know? <laughs> yeah, but but what is that? What, what is it's that? rare? One like percent of television. Yeah, it's well, very so, yeah, it's probably one so, percent. Yeah, so yeah. it's not being a waste of time. Yeah. But, uh, um, uh, but I, I did. I did kind of want to see the, the riots, like you know, as they're covering. See what are they saying? What is sure. CNN saying? What's Fox saying? What's yeah. the take? Yeah, you know. So I, I, I did. I, I bit the bullet and, and and got it like Hulu TV, whatever. Yeah, and um, uh, it, it it lost lost interest in about well, five days.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did a little bit of that too over COVID, and then again, I I tried a little bit to watch some of that during the riots, and man. Some of these anchors, yeah, I mean, they had veins popping out their neck, basically screaming about, you know, their thoughts on what was going on, and and then there was the whole defunding the police thing, and, of course, you had people that didn't really understand what we were talking about and just thinking, what well, does this mean? We're going to have no more police, and, like... They were just like angry and yelling. And I was like, this is, they don't even know what they're talking about. And it's just, I was just yeah. done. I, I like to get the actual newspaper at the end of the driveway. Oh, you do? Bring it into the office, read it. I just like that. I don't like reading stuff on my phone or the computer. I just never
2: could make well, that switch. The, the reason so. for the phone thing is like, you know, to get the Financial Times in Nashville, you get it like two days late. Right. I mean, the distribution yep. is like, you know. Of course. Yep. So it's just right there. And um, some of the stuff, you know, when you follow, uh, these, these news venues on Twitter uh, you kind of you know it's always right there at your fingerprints the right. synopsis of what all the stories are yes totally saying, you know
1: well um, yeah when with your role you got to stay up to speed quite a bit more than I think I would need to um, which I do want to make sure we talk about okay. you're the chief investment officer of one of the best performing pension funds in America yeah, is that no, fair to this say? Wood, this is where know. you can knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, but, wood? You're, but you're not doing great right now. You've been doing good for years. Right. right what, so. what's, what is your role and what are you doing that's so successful?
2: So, you know, to get into the actual doing of it is a little bit complicated, but um, pension plans have a very long-term horizon but um, it's been misunderstood by many, including people that run pension plans in the past, uh, is that eventually um, you, you're the, the, the tail starts to wag the dog. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you have a, if you have a $5 billion pension plan and the payroll that, that supports that, The covered Mm -hmm. payroll is, let's say, $700 million. Mm -hmm. Um, A 10% decline in the pension plan is like three-quarters of your payroll, 80% of your payroll. What that means is that you can't, eventually, the, the pot of gold is so big that you can't afford any losses in it
1: interesting because
2: you have to fund that on an ongoing basis every year mm-hmm. so so we're supposed to make uh, let's say r- roughly a couple hundred million a year over 200 million a year but a 10% correction in the market would put us in the whole 300 million a year so that year I would need 500 million mm-hmm. well how many years like that can I go Not right
0: yep
2: so so we we, we devised a a plan uh, by working with my committee that we told them, hey, you know, do you want to do this some other way? And we started going down that road gradually to to structure a process that has a lot less volatility and um, very aware of risk and can go risk on, risk off very quickly. And as well as a lot of um, investments that pay a current coupon. We love to collect those coupons, Payments because that keeps us paying our pensions. So in the process, we've called it something, we've caught we've created something that has little volatility. Mm. And um, what happens is every so often we have a big correction. Every time there's a big correction, you know, our peers lose 13, 14%, we lose five. Uh, market comes back, we give back half the difference, but we're still ahead. So we do that mm-hmm. a few times and all then you're your way up there in the number one position, but we never really designed the plan to be that. We were we were we were designing a plan that could be sustainable. Interesting. And, uh, and uh, we you know now in hindsight, if if I had done all of this and the investments didn't work, then all for not right? I yeah. would be wrong. Yeah. Um, so the reason I'm right is because those individual investments also work. So there's mm. there's the design part, the philosophy, the approach, the risk management, but then every piece that you put in has to work
0: mm-hmm. and
2: produce the results. Otherwise, you, you end up in the same situation. You, 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 you lost money instead of make money. Make yes.
1: Money. Yeah, so. that makes sense. So walk us through what a pension fund is, who all contributes to it in the city of, in nashville right. um kind of kind of walk us through that right.
2: so i was expecting this but uh, as a full disclosure i'm here as my own person so i can talk about my job it's fair but i'm not talking on behalf of any government or any entity yeah i'm simply talking from what i do for a living which i think i have a right to do with. rights in america has become fungible um, so, so what I do is the city of, pl- city of Nashville has a $3 billion pension plan. It was about 1.2 when I joined in 2003 and uh, oh, wow. today it's 3.3. We pay out money every year, uh, net of the contribution and that covers, uh, what a pension means is it covers a paycheck for people after they retire instead of having to amass $3 million or $2 million in a 401k for themselves to survive in retirement, they can share that risk with other pensioners and then they don't need as much money because of the life expectancy of human beings is not infinite, it's finite. So so what happens is we give them a check uh, in retirement, but in order to do that, we have to invest that money and get a rate of return on that money um, because we give them an inflation adjustment as well. Because if I give mm-hmm. you a check and it never goes up, Its value declines over time, especially if we have a lot of inflation. So we have to have some inflation Mm -hmm. component. And actually, that's the biggest challenge with pension plans. Is it really? 66% of our liabilities are the inflation in the future. 66% of your liabilities... Is inflation. 33% is is, is, is actually what that benefit somebody earned. But... When they retire. When they retire there's inflation every year, one, two percent, two and a half. So sixty six percent of the liability that we book is actually inflation in the future. So we have to grow to be so
1: much more than I would have thought.
2: Yeah. And and people are usually surprised by that. Yeah, I'm surprised by that. So, so if that's the case, uh, then we need to we need to have velocity of money, meaning money is being lent and coming back and relent and coming back and hopefully with a very low loss rate, because you always have losses when you when you lend money, and you also have to control your volatility on your investments. We have ways of doing that as well. Um, and then we have a lot of investments that are very growth oriented in venture capital that have, quite frankly, been the highest performing, the best performing assets. Mm. Um, and uh, this, uh, the, the the COVID has actually been good to a lot of those investments because a lot of them offer technological solutions to old problems. Mm. Um, even simple ones like Peloton did really well. You know, sales were up 66 percent in March, I believe. Wow. Uh, so, 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 Do you own some Peloton? The pension plan does. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is Peloton,
1: a, that's a private company. It's private, right? yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you own some of Peloton, the pension owns some of Peloton, that is through private equity? Yes. Private, okay. Through venture capital, yep. Through venture, okay. Yep. Um, so you have the... Which the, is private equity, you're
2: correct. Sure. It's the more specific.
1: Okay. Venture capital will be like a subset of private equity. Yep. Gotcha. Yes. So you have the, the, the city of Nashville, the government of Metropolitan Nashville. You've got police, mm-hmm. firefighters,
2: mm, who, who, who else, government employees. So it's everybody, okay, except for certified teachers in the school systems. They're on the state plan. Okay. So everybody else. And if you work
1: for this, the city of Nashville, say, this is a firefighter, as an example, and you're going to work for a certain number of years, you're going to retire, and you're going to keep receiving a paycheck after you retire. That gets paid out of the pension plan, pension fund. Um, and your job basically is to make sure that the money's there at the very least, and preferably have lots more money be available.
2: So we assume when we make the contribution, we assume that we're going to make about seven and a quarter percent on the money. So we have to make money in order to satisfy that liability when you make the contribution. Remember that inflation I told you right. about? It would yep. be a huge contribution that we couldn't afford if we didn't make a return on that money. Absolutely. So we pay for yep. that inflation, that 66% that's of his benefit is inflation, and 33% is, is actually mm-hmm. the dollar amount they actually calculated on the day he retired. We we have to invest to keep up with that payment.
1: And I missed what you were saying about the 7% or 7.5%. Are you saying you have to actually have a 7 or seven half percent return just to keep up with inflation?
2: No, 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 we do not. No, inflation is only about two, three percent, as calculated. We, 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 we we don't contribute. uh, We assume a return on our money, Mm. right? So therefore, we contribute less, thinking we can make money, and then we'll satisfy satisfy some of that liability through the investment return. Gotcha. And when when you're saying seven percent over a long period of time, that means most of your, most of your Benefits are paid through earnings, not from the contribution. Got let it. Me, let me state that a different way. Um, in the early 80s, okay, early 80s, this pension plan was less than $100 million. Total? Under management? Total. $100 since, million dollars early 80s. Since 19, Since the early 80s, okay, all that growth is from that $100 million that grew because... We started paying out, so so in other words, net of the so so they give me a contribution based on the the the, the calculated salary that they're paying out, and then we have to pay out. The payouts have exceeded the contribution since the eighties. Mm-hmm. So therefore, everything we have today in three billion dollars is from that hundred million dollars. Wow. Plus some additional money that we already paid out. Wow, that's that shows the power amazing, of right? yeah. proper investment. So that's why like, somebody interest, that was a, that's that why like, somebody that's a millionaire in 1980 they're doing pretty well right now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> if they were shrewd, <laughs> <laughs> they were wise with it. Um, do you can? Is it public information about what your annual? Income is from contributions into yeah. your fund.
2: Yeah, that's all. About how how that? much is that? So w- net, it's negative. We pay out more than we take in. Okay. So the city pays roughly around one hundred and seventy million dollars in contributions. Sorry, we pay out around one hundred seventy, hundred eighty, and okay. the contributions are about a hundred of that. Wow.
1: So if it wasn't for decent investing. We'd been short a long time ago, but currently we'd be short about 80 million a year. You said
2: you're paying out 180 and receiving 100 million. Yeah, but you would also not without the returns, you wouldn't have the three billion to be making interest right in, so you'd be even shorter. Wow. That. So if you were paying as you go, you're about right. You'd be about you'd be making you you'd, you'd pay, you would be paying about 190 million a year out of the budget instead of 100. So you're mm-hmm. right about that. But you'd have this massive storm coming in the future that right now you have set aside 3.3 billion dollars to to offset.
1: Yes, who, uh, who else? Do, who are you paying attention to? What other fund managers are you paying attention to, or investment officers, pension invest uh, fund investment officers around the country that are doing remarkably well that you're, you're watching?
2: Yeah. So I have some some friends in the space, and I watch what all the pensions do. Um, we have seen a trend uh, of people going in our direction, actually. Uh, I didn't invent this. Uh, I would never experiment um, uh, with, with people's livelihood. Uh, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, some somebody was doing elements of this somewhere when I adopted it. Um, my my lending platform, what we do on uh, what we call fixed income alternatives, was done by a couple of large states, primarily Virginia. Mm. So so uh, I did not know any of the people. I just studied what they did, looked at the results. And Talk to the investors they were invested with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have some friends on the West Coast uh, that they're really good CIOs. So we trade notes and talk, you know. Um, and I have uh, uh, I follow everybody. You're gonna follow, mm. what, you know, Calpers right now is making Calpers is one of the like, second largest pension in the United States, I believe, if not the first. It's California. Um, I follow what they do, see how they're what direction they're going, how they're doing it, uh, how the committee approves it does not what they're saying about it because we have to deal with people at the end of the day that have to approve what we do we have to know how to explain it to them Mm -hmm. when they're not they may not be investment experts um and then we have to so convince them of it that when trials and tribulations come we have to stay the course (laughs)
0: Right, and
2: that's that's not easy. I was going to say. I imagine that's difficult at times. All right, so you have to you have to have conviction around it and why you're doing it to begin with. Yep. And uh, we never did any of this to be in the top one percent in the country over in Louis Vuitton. Never would I do that. I wouldn't want to work for somebody that wanted me to design that. Uh, this is just a function of of things working out a little better than anticipated. What we mm-hmm. wanted to do is figure out. We wanted to be not lose as much when things are really bad and we, we, to be more sustainable, even if that came at a slight price of not making as much when things are really good,
0: mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to
2: be more sustainable. Mm-hmm. So that's the structure on the strategic side. Now, when we interpreted that to investments, we we did some really good investments that fall into that strategic uh, plan mm-hmm. that ended up giving us much better results than we expected.
1: Okay,
2: um, But, uh, you know, I would not want to... You know, you know beating the competition is not a good way to invest money
1: right a, yeah
2: it can be a disastrous way to invest money
1: yes but to be clear the pension fund that you are chief investment officer for is performing extremely well let's just be honest about that we can say that right it's doing well, it's doing well. <laughs> and, and it is it is top one percent of all pension funds in america that's what the charts show. Yeah. Congratulations. We have our numbers
2: on their pub it's public knowledge. I'm not talking about any of this okay. private. Yeah. It's on our website and people can go look at it. We use a consultant, third party, that gives us the numbers and comparisons to peers. Okay. Um so um, um uh, we we typically so I I can tell you right now, uh the quarter's not over yet, so I don't have any special knowledge of information. But at the end of this quarter, on June 30, we will probably be in the bottom 50, 60, 70% in the country for that one quarter. Mm-hmm. But for the trailing year, we will still be in the top 3 4%. I see. Yeah. Um, Wonderful. And that's, that's a function of. Uh, the fact that the, this quarter, the market just came back so strong
0: mm-hmm. and we
2: don't have as many assets in those things that came back so strong. Makes sense. So that caused us to lose less when we lost a lot and mm-hmm. we'll make a little less because, because we didn't have it to begin with. Sure. So we never lost it, we we'll won't make it. Yes. But uh, overall, when you do that over and over again and you have a lot of investments underneath that are collecting coupons and, and you have ways of going off, risk off when things are really unpredictable, mm-hmm. then you can keep a lot of money. And, uh, mm-hmm. and when you keep it, you don't lose it. You don't have to make it. Mm-hmm. You never lost it to begin with.
1: Mm. How many people roughly are in the, in your office there that are managing the investments? So involved with the pension
2: plan, it's just two of us. Okay. Um, but we do have, we have an outsourced model too. We use mm. a consultant. We've, mm-hmm. we've, used, this is the third consultant we've had since 2003, mm. um, uh, so they they do a lot of the research that we need them to do on individual investments mm-hmm. so then I can review them. Gotcha. Uh, the also, consultants do. The consultants do. Okay. Uh, they also do, they, they're sort of like a staff in a way, sure. but then they also bring somebody else that the committee can talk to besides me
0: mm-hmm. since
2: so much is at stake. And, you know, most large pools of money don't have one person running them. Usually mm-hmm. you have some checks and balances of some sorts. mm
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: Hm. What is...
1: Um, I was going to ask how far into kind of the, the, the everyday or the details of the investments you get. It sounds like you you're obviously okaying every single one and you right. probably have pretty intimate knowledge about every single one the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. But first they're being vetted by the consultants and the information comes to you. Before you make an investment, are you always getting face-to-face with those people? Are you just looking at the numbers? You know, you know the company or the, the potential investment
2: in making a decision? No, we, we always meet them. Um, okay. Uh, I don't necessarily always do a site visit, but the consultant will. I see. Um, but generally what I'm dealing with is is Companies that are, you know, dealing with fifty other pension plans, so these are not fly-by-night companies, right. you know. So, yep. uh, you know, even in the venture in the venture space where the funds are really small, uh, we are accessing some of the top pension sorry some of the top venture capitalists in the country, and our numbers prove that. Hmm. Um, now they those guys hardly ever come to Nashville. I go to conferences to see them and so on and so forth, because they got a line of people wanting to give them money. They couldn't care less.
1: The venture capital guys? <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: If they're good, they got a line of people yeah. wanting to give them money. Yeah,
1: I believe that. Yeah. So what does your everyday look like? Looking at a bunch of numbers,
2: vetting companies, What? what... So, it you know, it varies a little bit, but we do other things in the office. So sometimes my morning starts with just reviewing the markets and, and the cash position of the city if there's anything to be done in that risk That doesn't take a lot of time unless there is something to be done and then, you know, I got to communicate with people, see what kind of pricing we can get, whatever. So that's on the cash side of the city. But then um, the performance of the plan is run every night. Um, so when I wake up in the morning, I can pull it up. So I can mm. tell daily what we're doing. And I always review it on a periodic basis. Maybe right now daily because the market where we are. But but typically it's not as frequently. But mm-hmm. it's definitely weekly, mm-hmm. because sometimes there's accounting errors and they can only be caught or understood when you've been kind of keeping up with it. You know, otherwise, you have to do a lot of forensics to sure. figure out what happened. Um, and so so that's that. And then I have a ton of calls uh, every week usually to get updates or review. Uh, investments. sometimes it can be two three a day sometimes it can be one a week um, so so that's that and then um, there's part of it of planning long term so we have a committee meeting coming up every three months okay, unless we call a special one we have one every three months so so as you get closer you're always preparing for that but way before that you got to kind of tell the the consultant what is it that you're looking at doing in the first quarter what is it you're doing like right now they know exactly what we're going to do at the august meeting Mm. okay but we've been talking about what we're going to do the two quarters after that because they got to tell their people to put these things on their agenda to meet with those managers vet them out do whatever so 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 we're always i'm always working on about three quarters Mm. but the immediate quarter is is gets the most attention as you're within a month or a month and a half from it Mm -hmm. to make a decision is this an investment really go or no go yes you know yeah Uh, like is this you know so that's typically what we do yeah Um, uh, the, the the keeping up with the investments is not just because I need to keep up with investments but it is a uh, intelligence gathering operation so you want to know how the world's operating what these guys are doing you got to be on the phone with people that are trading those markets seeing the pricing seeing who can explain to you why the pricing is moving the way it is mm-hmm. what what happened was somebody's not buying somebody's buying you know so all these things have consequences to to how things happen in the future so So when we get portfolio updates, we're getting updates on what their peers are doing, what the competition is doing, how Mm. they're responding. So this is part of the intelligence gathering that has sometimes implications, how you position a portfolio going forward.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And that's a constant. Mm. Uh, situation. Yep. And then there's the business aspect of it. you got to negotiate contracts with these people. you got to find people that are competent, that are best in the business, that you, you, they're not going to do something stupid that will make you look like an idiot mm-hmm. and yet still want to get a good fee from them. Mm-hmm. How do you get around that? Can you make a big commitment? Will they, will they compromise? Will they, so there's very much that piece, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and you know, we, you know, people, people, we'll do whatever we want because we have 3.3 billion dollars but those people may not be the people we want <laughs> right uh, so the people we want may have may may not need us yep uh, so so you got and then you got to have, have people that also want to communicate back too and not just be a, through a salesperson or just be selling you something right. you know they, the good partners in this industry understand what I'm doing and are providing me add value mm-hmm. to do my mm-hmm. job,
0: mm-hmm.
2: okay? And the minute that that I notice that the add value is bias because they're trying to get me to do what they want me to do, then we move on to the next guy. <laughs> I see. It's it's very much a a, a a judgment call on, hey, sure. you're better just saying that because they want this, you know?
1: I see. Um, Interesting. We already talked a little bit the other day at CrossFit about the show Billions and, and essentially, your with your role, if anyone's seen the the TV show Billions, um, the uh, acts, yeah, Axel uh, Rose. Ax Axel Rose, ax, yeah, Axel Rose, and sometimes Taylor Mason will go and pitch a pension fund manager, right? Uh-huh. And I think in the in the show they had uh, one who was managing the pension fund for. I want to say the NYPD maybe or maybe it was the fire department. I feel like it was yeah. it was not the whole city though. Yeah, yeah. Um and and so they're pitching them and uh y- you know you can tell these pension fund managers, I mean they're really after that money. Um you would be the equivalent of that, right? It'd be as if they'd be coming to pitch you to try to get you to give the Them some of your money, and then they're going to give you a return, correct? Yeah, that's how you would fit into that show. (laughs) And you've seen a little bit of that show, and you said some of the personalities or the egos are actually correct. I
2: think think some of the personalities on the hedge fund side, the you know, we have a lot of egos in our industry. You know, tell you a quick little story. You know, I heard this. This may be just a rumor, but I heard somebody tell a story that that um, somebody asked Bill Clinton about the House of Cards. And he said, that's really not far from reality. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the Netflix show? Yeah. Or the yeah. TV show? The House, the House of Cards? Cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. You know people are being murdered and all kinds of stuff. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. But um, yeah.
2: I, I can tell you, <laughs> thankfully, thank God, I can tell you that as far as, like, the shenanigans that went on in that show where the people dolly out the money were corrupted, all, you know, the yeah. people in my shoes and all. I can tell you for sure that is not the case. Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: all the corruption and <laughs> the everything?
2: corruption. Okay. Uh-huh. I think the egos, though, definitely, you know, uh, I, I tell people sometimes that uh, uh, managers in our business confuse their IQ with their W-2. Mm. So a guy starts out with a very reasonable understanding of his IQ. But then after he makes a few million dollars, he really does think his IQ grew proportionally. Should I believe <laughs> that, yeah. So there's a ton of, <laughs> ton of, an, ton of... It's a human uh, reaction. Yeah, a ton of... <laughs> I, the, 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 the W-2 starts, starts being yeah. confused for the... I
1: can see that, absolutely. Definitely, yeah.
2: It's a lot of that. You know, with, um, we got a lot of money at stake in some of them. I mean, we're talking billions and billions. Mm-hmm. You know, they They personally mm. possess, so... Uh, these are some really rich people yeah we we try to do business with people that are well aligned with us, no matter how big their ego is mm. but we got to make sure that the checks and balances are in place because we don't have like chaotic you know industry that being if somebody if the chief operating officer can be bullied by the by the by people in the firm, then you just start questioning even the pricing and so yeah. on so yeah and um I learned a long time ago just from life that you know the more you, you the if, if 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 you know there's some snakes in a hole, right? And you get away with sticking your hand in there once and you get it out and it's whole. You know, don't do it again. Yeah. Right? So so what I mean by that is if you know that there's potholes everywhere, you have to select carefully. But also, once you have people that you know, you have confidence in, you don't have to stick your hand in the hole again and, mm-hmm. and, and try your luck, mm-hmm. you know? So we, we, we're very selective. We do business over and over again with people that, that, that perform. Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately, because people perform and we give them more money, people that are totally fine but they just don't perform as well we don't have money for them it's just a yeah. function of give somebody else more money so I have less reason to go out find somebody new to do something and try this again and, that makes sense you know, so I have relationships yep. that have been in place ever since I got to the city wow so, so we don't just you know uh now, there are changes in the portfolio that occur over time because of the size that allows mm-hmm. us to do things we couldn't do before mm-hmm. that can control costs and, and give us a better risk-adjusted return that we may have to find people that can do it now that mm-hmm. we didn't in the past. So there has to be a compelling reason why we're doing something like that. Yeah. Uh, when you already have somebody that, that's already doing it. You yeah. Hopefully you can tempt the guy that has been already doing it and it's very successful at it to the to, to do what you need to have done.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. If you had a friend come up to you and, and ask your advice on how to invest hundred grand, what would, what would be some of your thoughts or your advice right now in this market?
2: So it would really depend on uh, how long a horizon that is, of course. So I'm assuming when you say invest that it says long-term money. Mm-hmm. You know? So I have to know where the money came from, not necessarily like, like personal, but like, for example, did he just take it out of the market? Mm. Because if he just took it out of the market, that means he made some money on it. So so if the market's overpriced right now, I'd look at it differently because he already made some of that overpricing.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: if he just got a, got a, a settlement from an insurance company because he can no longer work again because he damaged his right arm and he needs to go back to school and this is like the only thing left and we got to look at that money differently. Yeah. so the purpose of the money matters a lot yeah you know yeah but you know generally speaking um, uh, if you have a long term horizon uh, and that's to me over seven years um, equity index funds do very well and mm. S and P five hundred U S centric. Equity index funds, probably a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Um, There's always a risk that the day you got in was too high. So if the guy does not want to wake up one day and see that his hundred became seventy thousand, then I gotta diversify that portfolio to make sure that that that, that, that a forty percent market correction doesn't make him see seventy thousand. Mm-hmm. So you backward you backward calculate what you should do based on the outcomes you want or don't want, mm-hmm. and that's 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 really what we do. Yeah,
0: want. but um,
2: you
1: would lean more towards market as opposed to something like real estate. Because yeah, we did I say a so. very average person here, so.
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. uh, first of all, <clears throat> uh, real estate can be done while people have a lot of money. But uh, generally speaking, investment, real estate, you know, you have concentration of risk around one one market, one asset, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you have to be careful. Uh, uh, you know, one of my, well, you ask who I listen to, you know. Howard Marks is one of my favorite investors. And the reason he's my favorite investor is because, well, his firm has done well, but really he's a professor, he's a teacher, Mm. and he tells great stories. And, you know, you got to understand human behavior and how fallible we are, Mm -hmm. you know, and and, uh, that's a term that uh, emotional intelligence and and, uh, uh, investing, you know, you have to understand how people behave. So just because something worked for the last 10 years or 15 years, people will tend to dive right in, but that's really exactly the time when maybe you shouldn't. Right. So your understanding of the asset class has to, has to um, um, take into consideration uh, your background, how well you understand it, can you understand what caused this, was it repeatable, you know, and is $100,000 enough to... Now, if you tell me that some guy is really handy and can do just about any project in a house, okay, and wants to use some of that money to take on a house f- and flip it, you know, he is adding value way beyond that 100000 right? Mm-hmm. So as long as the market holds up and he buys smartly, you know, he has a special. That's different than investing. Most right. investing, what we're doing is we're very passive investors. We put it and we walk away. Yeah. And um, there's nothing that, a real estate Mm -hmm. company can do that a company in the S&P can't do. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is real estate in the S&P. So uh, uh, now... You know, our bias in real estate right now is not for equity and core real estate. It's for lending because mm. we're getting a far higher return, we think. We may be wrong. We're got, getting a far higher return in the coupon we're collecting than we think the real estate investors will get from the equity on their return, especially when you adjust it for risk. Oh, wow. Interesting. So, so yeah. but now... You know, this is not apples or oranges. One is core real estate, and the other one is lending on real estate that may not be core. So yep. there is there is a difference in risk. Mm-hmm. But we think the upside more than justifies that. So yeah, so so there's there's a lot to this to investing, yes. and and one of one of the problems you know that, that that I come across all the time is that people try to oversimplify it, and um, uh, you know, I, I people come up to me, should I invest in MLPs? They're down sixty percent. They're down thirty percent. And um, they don't understand MLPs. There's a reason why they're down, mm. you know. I'm not just picking on one asset, but that happens all the time. People just lack the, the, the knowledge. But there is this human nature that, hey, this guy told me that, you know, everything's overpriced, but this one thing mm-hmm. is down 30%. Is this where I should be putting my money? You know, well, maybe, maybe not. you got to understand it. And if you mm-hmm. don't understand it, then you won't. Just understanding it doesn't mean you're right, or you will be right. Right, right. Yep. But at least you will have some conviction around it. And if you understood it, and it went the wrong way, mm-hmm. you would then understand what is it that you assumed that didn't turn out right. So is it is mm. it is it just half hazard, or did you not understand it, or or did something change? Yes. So you have a basis for making a decision where people, you know, and the, and the nice thing about things like S and P 500 is that you don't have to under, understand. Every company in the S and P and whatever they self adjust based on prices going up and down. You own a lot of companies that represent growth assets. Now it gets overpriced, just like any any other asset, Mm -hmm. you know. But uh, so so there's ways to mitigate that by putting your money gradually over time, Mm -hmm. or not putting all your money in 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 equities and Mm -hmm. diversifying with fixed income. traditional fixed income investment grade fixed income is very challenging right now because you're making less than two percent. Wow. How are, supposed to, how are people supposed to, you know, so you're going to have more and more people taking risk just yeah. by, by virtue of the fact that uh, the, the Fed has managed the rates so low that, uh, yes. that uh, uh, you know, not just the Fed, the long, the Fed doesn't manage the long rate. It's basically people's perception of the future mm-hmm. um, and that's actually what what the bond market is telling us is negative not positive the fact that the 10 years less than one is is not good news you know, that means the market is predicting less growth less inflation you know so that's not good um, yeah i see uh, on the other side of that, and if you if you if uh, you know the overpriced p is because there's no other guy in town. There's no there's no game in town for liquid mm-hmm. assets. So so you know, uh, I, I try to you know be careful giving people advice because I walk away and things change. And then I happened right. one time with a friend actually. He lived in California. And he called me and said, you know, should I do this? I said, I think it's a great idea, but I would wait. He says, why? I said, because I really think there's a correction in the, in the technology companies. And um, I didn't, wasn't forecasting what happened in 2000, in, in, you know, in, in the market, but I knew these things were overpriced. But he went ahead and did it anyway. Okay. Right? So then he calls me back years later well, I told you. Just, you know, and then he's still holding on to it. I'm like, you know, so I'm like, man, if I don't know what is, you're not my client. Right. Um, I can't tell you to get, you know, you, I don't know what you're doing. You're taking, interpreting what I said, and, you know, we, we change our mind about investments all the time. Sure, I believe and, that. And, like, wh- the way we invest in the S&P 500, I could have $300 million in the S&P today, and I could have 200 tomorrow. That's mm. not that's something a little harder for you to do because you have execution yeah. costs and things like that. But the way we do it is very much we're not necessarily targeting at a dollar value in S and P. We're actually targeting a certain level of risk for our overall portfolio. Interesting. So we sometimes take advantage of overpriced markets where investors trading with commissions or or you know can't can't do it as 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 mm-hmm. uh, as effectively. So, yeah. And even if they did do it. You know the cost over time would eat up, eat up the 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 benefit. Yeah. So so we, it is a little bit different. But uh, um, so the the short answer though is I would just diversify portfolio. Yeah. And uh, I would I would uh, we, it's a very mathematical problem that an advisor could help him with. Where mm-hmm. hey, if you only want to see worst case scenario fifteen percent, then we can only have X in the market. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't you know if you want to. You know, dollar cost average that in over a period of time, and that's why it matters a lot what you're going to use the money for, where did it come right. from. Yep. So there's there's a you should think of it a goal oriented instead of there is no perfect way to invest your money yeah. at any yeah. time. That's yeah. not a that's not a concept that actually exists. That's right. My portfolio theory would tell you there is, but it's just a theory. I see. Interesting. Well, uh, Lincoln's got to get to a
1: baseball game. All right. Which, but, uh, did, uh, I, did, I, did I
2: exceed Evans' time?
1: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how long no, Evan's time not. was. <laughs> I
2: don't know. We'll have to check later. <laughs> well, um, let me tell you. Thank but, you for inviting me. Well, uh, thank you. I enjoy working out with you, by the way. Oh, likewise.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, likewise. Uh, it's been a real pleasure seeing you. Every day you're in there. Yeah. Uh, and, I try. Uh, I try.
2: So, yeah. So last week I made it three times. I had to lay back. I, I kind of tweaked my knee a little bit, and I knew if okay. I did more, I would injure myself. So it wasn't quite yeah. an injury. It was just kind of like, what did I do? Yeah. And you know what I did? I I, I did a... Uh, I, took on box jumping with my lifters on and they just transferred all that, all oh, that energy okay. into my knees. And you and felt it? Knees, yeah. I just kind of said, nope, I yeah. feel good. And by then it was too late to change shoes. I was kind of
1: feeling right. that, A week and a half ago, I really tweaked my lower back doing deadlifts, which is so dumb because I, I feel like I generally care a lot about form oh, and I was even keeping it light, but man, it got, it got sore for yeah. like a week there. It's getting better now, but... Um, Last week was brutal programming, man. Old Evan, man, he had a rough week last week. Yeah. By the end of the week, dude, I was in a rough shape. But I went to a sauna on Saturday. I think I told you, but I felt a lot better actually. Yeah. It really. Well, I think a lot.
2: A- what I'm noticing in the gym is a lot of us are suffering from being out of the gym for six weeks. So we're, yeah. even though it's been over a month. Yes, we're not at the same place we were when we yeah, left. Yeah,
1: agreed. So, um, any final thoughts or words of advice you want to leave with our listeners?
2: I think I think we laid it all down, didn't we? Yeah, we I think about so. it. We saw all the world's problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Um I, you know I think I think that I think that I do actually I, I I feel like uh we should give people the benefit of the doubt you know not question their intentions or automatically assume negative intentions or you know treat them nice and I think most people are actually deserving of it and so makes you happier you know and you might learn something
1: Totally agree. I love that. Very, I feel the exact same way. Um. Well, Lincoln, I think this is our last podcast conversation. We're going to take July off. Oh, so Jacqueline, you're you're or, no, just uh-huh. takes take take a little time. We've been hitting this pretty hard the last few months, so we uh, don't have any lined up for July, and we'll see what happens thereafter. So I don't think we could have picked a much better guest for the last one, at no, least for this whole season. I'm but uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you very much for being on, Fatty. Really appreciate it. Um, we'll you see care. you tomorrow at the gym, right? Thank you. Yeah. Take care.